On today's show, oh my. Howard catches up with an old friend. Oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. As we welcome writer, actor, director, and comedy royalty, Ben Stiller. I had dinner Saturday night with Ben Stiller. You actually got together. He went and picked up the tab, this guy, because nobody ever picks up a tab around. Nobody. I'm telling you, I, was, I almost went into cardiac arrest. They almost had to revive me right at the table. <laughs> I winced when um, I opened up the microphone because literally it's interesting that Ben Stiller's coming on today because I was almost praying that, oh, let me go on the air and forget about all my other problems with my mother and all this other stuff. And let me just do the show unencumbered by those thoughts. And that's what the movie's about. The movie's about going it's to work. It's a TV show. It's well, yeah. several episodes. Yeah, Right. The, the, the story is about going to work and having your brain split in half so you don't have to think about your home life. And I'm all for it. I like it. I like it. I, I could use it right now. Yeah, but, you know, I was thinking about it, and I said, you know, those people have a very dull affect. Well. Like, hello. I know. Well, I think that and was a choice. And they go through the same routine, and, you know, it's, it's uh, no fun. <laughs> Robin, what they are doing is trying to show the drudgery of the workplace. Thank you. <laughs> testing, one, two. Testing, testing. Well, they got that down. One, two. Hey, now. Hey, now. Yeah, anyway, um, let me let me get to a couple of things because the morning goes fast. And, and then I go, we didn't get to anything. Uh, I'm following a few stories, Robin, that I'd like to comment on with you because um, I love the childishness of, um, you know, in this day of there's access to porn and, uh, you know, our world has become so uh, open and crude when it comes to adult matters. And yet this kid who's in the Olympics had his penis frozen. Have you heard about this kid? Yes, I heard this. He was a cross-country skier. Cross-country skier, his penis froze during the men's 50-kilometer finals. And this was the second time this has happened to him, so this is not a first. Remy Lindholm of Finland, and they had to put a heat pack on his dick to thaw out, you know, his, his peen. Wouldn't you stop yeah. if your penis <laughs> No. It's, the show must go on, Robin. You, that's why you're not an athlete. You're not an Olympian. <laughs> You would stop if your vagina froze. But what I love about this story is how ridiculous network news still is. Because I, I even said to the guys, I am not watching the Olympics, but what do they do? Now, only three, I could only find three newscasts that even refer to this story. They didn't even, even, even do a, the story, huh? Because it's so horrible to say penis. Like, come on already. Like, we don't know men have pen penises, right? Well, you, you don't. You're very pure. But... Uh, <laughs> No, but, but but it's so funny. And I said, well, how do they handle it on the news? And they handle it as if they're seven years old. Here they go. But this weekend, a cross-country skier from Finland made some unfortunate headlines. Remy Lindholm collapsed when talking about the unbearable pain when he suffered a certain frozen body part. After the race, Lindholm said the conditions had, shall we say, frozen his nether regions. Yikes. That's right. Uh, I just, now, how am I going to handle this? Uh, let's just say his pee-pee pipe was frozen <laughs> uh, during the Olympics. Um, for more on the story, um, here is um, Greta. Hi, 
his chili willy <laughs> was frozen up. Well, I've just been handed out to refer to it as thingy. His thingy or little wee wee was chili. I mean, it's 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 laughable. Lindholt said he needed a heat pack to thaw out that area uh -huh. once the race was over. That area. Because the Listen to him. He acts like he doesn't have that area. Uh, uh, he has an uh, area that he had to put a, a heat pack on. <laughs> His bathing suit area, shall we say, was frozen, or shall we say his ding-dong, or his Peter Piper that picked a pickled pepper. His wee Willy Wonka. <laughs> his little wee-wee where he pee-peed was chilly. His baby maker. Oh, that'd be getting too close <laughs> to what it is. All right, his mommy-daddy button. His TT hose. His Audi. <laughs> his naughty place. We're so frigid. So frigid. Lindholm said afterward, you can guess which body part was a little bit frozen when I finished. Oh. I'll give you a hint. It's the only appendage a man has besides his fingers and toes. What about the balls? <laughs> I'll give you a hint. His hot diggity dog wasn't so hot. Uh... To put it mildly, that thing downstairs, or joystick, was compromised, shall we say. You know what is, uh, what's funny it's is ludicrous. they think it makes it better if you say big words and it's not say ludicrous. what you're talking about. His appendage. His <laughs> nether regions. <laughs> what a bunch of shitheads. His silly snake was, uh, let's just say, below zero. For well, more on the story, here's another idiot. <laughs> uh, Lindholm's penis also froze during a race in Finland last year. I mean, any kid five years old and up gets on the Internet can see porn now. Don't worry about it. The world has changed. I hate to say it. I mean, the world's Not gone berserk. Not on TV. <laughs> world's gone berserk. Um, this story caught my eye, too. The, a pastor resigned i'm sure you saw this after incorrectly performing thousands of baptisms over the two decades making them all invalid what they, yeah wait a minute i don't know anything about this. these these baptisms are invalid they're invalid the dude who's a priest baptized people and instead of saying i baptize you he said we baptize you which made over 2,000 baptisms invalid. And, I mean, talk, oh about a talk about a tragedy that affects absolutely no one in a real way. Yeah. And this guy Instead was... Instead of saying ooga booga, he said booga yeah. ooga. Right. And, and, and so he was fired. Mind you, the if this guy had molested a young boy, they just would have moved him to a different parish right. and, and kept his name quiet. <laughs> <laughs> the guy got fired for saying we instead of I. Father Andre Arango has so resigned. So now all those people have to get re-baptized. That's right. <laughs> Here's a professor. This is a great clip. I, I defy you to stay awake during it. The, this professor explains why we is bad and I is good. Uh, this is from ABC News. 
There you go. Hold on. I suggest that the authority descends from the divinity through the priest, um, whereas we suggest that it is the community who, who does it. ASU history professor Catherine O'Donnell says according to Catholic faith, Christ is the only one who baptizes a person and incorporates them into the church. Right. Morego recently took three of his four daughters to get baptized. This time, it was valid, and Father Andres yes. is the one who is baptizing. Using I, not we. Yeah, oh, everyone's upset. Thank goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you laugh, but people are in hell because of this, Robin. It's very serious. Oh, He geez. used eye of newt instead of a dragon tail in his witch's brew. All, um... How about this? All baptisms are invalid because maybe none of it's real. So maybe there's no God even. But they How about so they drum We is fine. I, I love that though a professor. They got a professor to professor. Weigh in on that. No wonder people won't listen to scientists. Professor was the name, <laughs> I believe. I, you caught it. Father Andres has returned to the church several times since his resignation to perform rebaptisms with the proper wording, thank God. And also, you know, when you get baptized, you get a new name. That's when you get confirmed. And you know that Baba Booey, Gary, Gary's name is Angelo. His, no, I don't know. I, I've been calling him the wrong name all this time. No, Angelo. I want to switch to Angelo. <laughs> yeah, I would. Lo he looks like an Angelo. <laughs> That's Angela. for confirmation. That's for confirmation. Baba Bowie. Angelo. I would kill. Why would you be have... Angelo? Because when you get confirmed, you pick Baba a sponsor, Bowie. right? And my sponsor was my uncle Angelo, so I took his name. But Nice. The, usually they tell you you have to take biblical names. Like, they really want you to take, like, Mark and John and all that bullshit. But I would kill, Howard, to have all that time back. You know, starting in kindergarten, you leave school on Wednesdays and you go to somebody's house for an hour and then never leave the right. church for an hour for religious instruction. It's all bullshit. And when you're a kid, yeah, you don't realize. because the world is running so well. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you're a kid, you don't realize, like, your time is running out. You know, you think you have endless time. And it, it, it's wasted hour upon hour when you could have been learning guitar or karate or something cool. Something you it. could use. Yeah. Something you could use to seduce women with. <laughs> Howard, so you so you look like an expert at something. Cool. Angelo won't do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my name is Angelo. <laughs> you, you know that um, I uh, I fucked up in so I just stopped going to religious instruction, but didn't tell my mother. Like in fifth grade, nice. so I would just go and hang out with my friends. So my mother in I think it's seventh <laughs> or eighth, I think it's eighth grade. My mother calls the church and she wants to sign me up to get confirmed. And they go, well, he hasn't been here in three years. So <laughs> I literally had to do the Billy Madison thing. I had to take 6th, 7th, and 8th grade religious instruction all at once. I was going three times a week. Which shows you how lame religious instruction is because you've skipped three years and still graduated on time. So it's ridiculous. Oh, and none, by the way, none of the, none of the years were different. You know, in, in other words, they didn't talk about anything different in 6th grade than they did in 8th grade. It's just all, you know, Jesus loves you. It's all the same bullshit. Good for you, like. I mean, I'm actually impressed that you had the wherewithal at a young age to defy your parents and the church and just like say, this is bullshit. I'm not going. Did your brothers put that in your head or I mean, where did no. you come up with that? Awesome. I don't know. Probably my friends. But I, I, the other thing that's really cool is right before you make your confirmation, 
they do this whole thing about like, hey, we know your um, you know, that your confirmation is done, but we expect to see you back here. We're like, we're not coming back here. Like, this yeah. is it. I'm done. You know it and I know it. Let's get real. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What uh Sal, uh tell the story that uh you pranked your religion teacher. Yeah. And she and well, she called the cops. My confirmation first of all, my confirmation name I think is worse than Gary's. It was Luigi. Oh, my grandfather. You were name. a Mario uh, brother. Uh, uh, Luigi. Luigi and Angelo. Nice. We should open a pizza place, Gary. Well, no, and Luigi's like, my grandfather's so, name. Are you so proud of your new name? Like, do you get excited about it, Luigi? Believe it or not, I think I hated Sal so much uh, that I, I actually liked Luigi better. You hated Sal because your dad's name is Sal, right? My my grandfather, who I had to hold his penis one night, oh, right, he yeah. was sick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, with my religion teacher. So yeah, uh, she lived actually right down the block from us, and uh, I pranked. I'll tell you her. how little. Uh, how many years did you go to religion school? Uh for one year. Yeah. One year? Spell, no, no. You had to. You had to start going like in first grade. No, I didn't. I have to. I just had to go for one year for my confirmation. That was it. Oh, so that my, explains. Uh, so that's how it, that's what explains how you spell religion. Spell religion. Oh, um, R E A R R E A L religion. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, because you're putting me on the spot here. I know. Don't you fucking look okay. on your computer. Keep your I'm eyes not, closed. I'm not looking. Spell I'm religion. not looking. Spell religion now, right now. Go. R E A L I G I O N. <laughs> no, if you had, had only th okay. if you had three years of religion, you might be able to spell it, <laughs> dude. Religion's an easy word. What the fuck's going on? Give it one more shot. I'm just on this. On this I'm on the spot here. Hold on. Go ahead. Nobody's on the spot. Take your time. Take <laughs> it's your time. English. Take your time. You speak it. Religion. Rob, you talking to a guy who wanted to be named Luigi? Come on. <laughs> Go ahead. Religion. Go. R. R. E. L. I. G I O N. Oh, wow. <laughs> I get it? Religion. Worse. What? You were better Wait, when you R started. R religion. R E L I G I O N. What? <laughs> what? what the whole You were all over the place. You gave me three religion. different spellings. R religion. R Come on, man. R E L I G I O N. Yeah, well, I think that and you know how I knew one. you couldn't spell it. Was it was one of them you spelled. Yeah, <laughs> one of it you got right. R, you spelled it R E L E G I O N, and then one at one point R E A L. Yeah, real religion. Uh, real, real religion. It was. I know it's you speak, real religion. I know you speak to birds and angels. Maybe you should ask them for some spelling help. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so what did you do to your religion teacher well, that got you in trouble? I was working at my dad's place, my pizza, pizzeria, pizzeria, whatever you call it. And uh, there was a. It's a pizzeria. What country are you in? Pizzeria. <laughs> we say pizzeria. That's how we say it. I don't know. Yeah, we say. We say, who's we? Uh, and who me else? and my dad yeah. and my uncle Jim. Yeah, yeah. three people. <laughs> <laughs> you and your dad. Your dad was born in another country. Right. What's your excuse? Uh, my dad. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So, no, uh, so I went next door to the King Cullen and they had a payphone there. So I thought my, my uh, religion teacher was kind of cute. So I would call her up and I, I would prank call her. And I did that over the course of a month. And she started, <laughs> she, she called the cops and the cops told her to record it. So they recorded it. And one day I'm at the pizza place with my dad and the cops come in and they go, we believe your son was prank calling 
this lady. And, I, and my dad's like, my son didn't prank call anybody. What are you talking about? And they pulled out a tape recorder. They plugged it in, and there it was. And I was talking very <laughs> filthy to my religion oh. teacher. What did you Dude, say to her? Yeah, what the? What kind of shit did you say? I was just, I was like, hey, you know, I, I remember, like, you know, what are you wearing? You know, uh, oh my your pants. God. Oh, that's <laughs> not a fucking prank call. Know, that's a fucking pervert. Yeah, that's a pervert. Call a crime. So yeah. yeah. Dude, so how old were you when you did that? <laughs> I think fourteen, maybe. Oh my god. So, um, my when dad. When did you get out? <laughs> I'll never forget yeah, it. When, when did they, when did they let you out of jail? Well, that's the thing. I, oh, the reason why, well, what happened was they play. So my dad's in the front and he's making pizza and he's covered in flour and they plug in this tape recorder and he plays it. <laughs> and there I am saying, Hey, drop your pants and all this stuff. And my father goes, hold on. I'm going to talk to my son. So I go, Sal, let's go in the back. And he takes me out back and we had a fire escape in the back of the pizza place. And I'll never forget it. He takes me, pushes me halfway over it, and he beat the living shit out of me. And <laughs> Good. The cop, yeah, I mean, cops joined in. Yeah, the cop, well, the cops joined in, and they pulled my dad off of me. And I'm on the ground. <laughs> they pulled my dad. <laughs> you fucking maniac. Uh, they, oh. they, yeah, he beat me so bad that the cops pulled my dad off. So they're holding my dad back. He's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm on the ground. And I'm, you know, when you have those, uh, I, I, I had the snot cries where the snot and the crying yeah. is mixed in as one. <laughs> and I have these like cry hiccups and I'm on the ground convulsing. And they look at me and they go, Mr. Governale, we think this has been settled. We'll let her know. And, and they left. So wow. my dad uh, left you took with it this in. abusive man. Yeah, the cops Sounds said, to me you know like Sal. You just said Sal didn't do it. Luigi did it. <laughs> Go find him. Don't you? Isn't it amazing? Don't you think that that should have ended your prank call career? But it launched it instead. Like you, you didn't like that. That didn't stop oh, yeah. you, right? Yeah. It did not stop me one bit. You know, when but I, what when amazes I, me, yeah. Howard, is how he never knows. The line. The line. He doesn't know. The, the line, line. No. is erased. No. It doesn't yeah. exist, and he just steps right into a big mess all the time. Do you, do you now I'm understand that that was beyond like a prank call to the point of harassment it, and, and possibly? It's a verbal criminal? sexual assault. Not a, not right. a. I love he thinks it's a prank call. Right. Like we're like, yeah. oh, he pranked, pranked her. Like he called her. her, said, you know, your refrigerator's running. No, he thought. Oh, What's I guarantee up your you, if Sal if Sal comes clean, I guarantee he jerked off when he called her. Guaranteed. I did it be only because I was in King Cullen. I'm a creep. <laughs> oh. King Cullen. <laughs> so that stopped you? King so Cullen stopped us. you? Yeah. I mean, hey, Sal, I so Sal, can I ask you a question? Life, swear on the life of your children. Is that the only person in your whole life, that you're, only woman that you've ever called and done that to? Uh, let me think. Yeah, as far as women <laughs> I are concerned. Think. Yeah. As far as women are concerned? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, like what the I, prank. I like the prank call. It's like, uh, I want to grab your tits. How's that for a prank? <laughs> that pretty much was it, Howard. <laughs> I think I said that too. Oh, Sal, you're uh, so silly. I should uh, tell everyone that uh, Sal's wearing a big cross right now, just so you know. Oh, you know, there it yeah. is. Yeah. There it well, is. Well, I'm Look at laughing because his dad probably had five illegitimate children, and he's the one <laughs> meeting out the punishment to Sal. <laughs> Well, he was a grown man. He knows better. Um, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Sal, that's an incredible story. It's just another great story. I always think I know. Is the statute of limitations out? Because maybe Sal will be arrested right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to yeah. tell you about the time I, um, 
I had a hot teacher, and I wanted to um, prank her, so I went knock, <laughs> knock, and she goes, who's there? And I go, let me smell your pussy. And, <laughs> and then she called the cops, and my father beat me up. <laughs> yeah. I, knock, yeah, the, knock, I'll never the, the cops, they were like, whoa, this is over. Okay, justice has been served. <laughs> we're leaving. He's already wish... in jail. <laughs> like, what happened when you saw your religion teacher again? I never, well, I wasn't allowed to go there anymore. And, um, <laughs> obviously, but I had to share a bus, the school bus with her son. Oh. And that was really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. So I just sat in the front of the bus and I tried to avoid him as much as possible. I remember we had to stand at the bus stop and that was another nightmare. And he was there the next morning, Monday. And I'm like, fuck, Mark is there. And I'm like, I just waited like a half a block away. And when the bus <laughs> came, I ran and chased the bus. So I wouldn't have to stand next to Mark, and then I would sit on the butt. That was the whole year, because I you know, I couldn't face this kid. <laughs> it was terrible. His mom was hot, prank, Not really. I mean, yeah, right. I guess so. I mean, now that I look back, she was she was she wasn't bad. She was so sweet. She was so polite. And, and we that's why you called her, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and she recognized your voice. I mean, she was able to tell the the cops. She. Well, I don't know if she was able to recognize my voice. I, I, you know, every day I would take like a fistful of quarters, go to the payphone, I can call and call her. And I think after like five calls, she decided they recorded it. So I don't even think she knew it was me because I was very polite in class. We sat in her at her kitchen table, me and like five other kids with our religious religion books. And we went through each chapter and we had to highlight things and explain <laughs> things. And then I, I think she was probably shocked. This is the kid, the kid in my kitchen who I'm teaching religion to is, is calling me with, you know. After your father beats you up, does yeah. he ever talk to you about it again? Like, do you ever have a discussion like, Sal, you know, you might have a real sexual problem or, you know, you don't do that to women. It just was he just beat the shit out of you and that was it. He just beat the shit out of me and that was it. And he, he never, he would never bring it up again. It was never discussed. You know, he, that was it. He just called me, you know, because obviously. It obviously me an so idiot. Been, yeah, it would have been useful if your dad sat you down and said, hey, what's going on with you that you don't know that what you're doing is uh, is improper, right? But it, he never had that discussion because. Howard, how would you, how would he, his father doesn't even know what's appropriate. I know. <laughs> he just beats so, the shit out of uh, Sal whenever Sal does anything. That's well, how he yeah. teaches. It's poor Sal didn't learn anything because didn't you once tell a former coworker you wanted to be her toilet paper as she uh, went into the bathroom? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a compliment. So yeah, that was a wrong that was I saw weird. that one. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, oh you're yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and you he know, doesn't that even nice. know that he shouldn't do that where other people can hear well, it. <laughs> I, yeah, I did it in front of JD and Gary. I just thought, you know, I was like, wow. I, was trying to, I was trying to be affable. Wow. What? <laughs> affable. She was walking. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was really bad. Too. That makes me cringe. I was like, it's not. Oh. That's just but I, so recently you were just you were thrown out by your doctor. You know, you really that's still recent. haven't no. learned. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So you, you go, oh, that makes me cringe. And then your doctor, your psychiatrist won't see you because you were inappropriate with her. And oh, and your, and your regular doctor. Your regular doctor. See, he kept yeah. chewing up for, for uh, prostate exams. He wanted her to hold his dick. Uh, what can I tell you? That's crazy. You know who else was affable? I think Harvey Weinstein. Oh, God. Don't put me in the yeah. same place. That's what he was That's trying to do. Yeah. That's no. All. Your Honor, I'm just trying to be affable. 
<laughs> By the way, Sal is reading The Mount of Olives, 11 Declarations to an Extraordinary Life. Yes. It is currently ranked 18th on Amazon's Christian self-help book list. So there you wow. go. Sal will be I didn't know getting a religious education. I guess he didn't get yeah. one when he was a child. Well, he couldn't, Mount. Robin. He was sexually harassing the teacher, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mother Angelica Mother Angelica wants to speak to Sal. Go ahead, Mother. You know, you really are such a disgusting deviant. To use religion as a means of sexual pleasure, it's so sick. You are so, so, so sick, Sal. What the hell's wrong with you? Got to take that book you're reading and beat yourself over your <laughs> own friggin' head. You are an right, idiot. Mother. Thank you, Mother. Mother Angelica. I'm a woman who knows. You nothing. <laughs> means nothing. You're about to get a prank from the devil, and you go to hell, and you're surrounded by hellfire. You've never, right. never, you've never known what it is to be a Christian. You just, you're sick. Your father. I didn't have a guess. He should have. Mother, I have a, I have a, an idea that Sal was never properly baptized. Probably they used we <laughs> instead of I. That's what. <laughs> there you go. They should have, should have taken and drowned him in the water. Just <laughs> head under there. Really wasn't moving because he's an idiot. He's right. really, you're an idiot, and you use your body like an animal. You're sick. <laughs> You're worse than you're worse than the homosexual. You're worse than the Jew. You're just might have gone too far. Might have gone too far with that bit. <laughs> yep. So there it is. Another guy who does another line. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch <laughs> of, of uh, blind yeah. uh, <laughs> writers. He was doing. He they was doing so good. He was doing so well in his impression, too. I mean, <laughs> let these guys ad lib. It's like letting a, a tiger off out of the cage. Uh, <laughs> Never know what you're uh, going to get. Yep. Live ad lib sketches right here on the air. Walking that tight wire. I'm no, you don't know where the line is to walk it. They don't even see it. They hop right yeah. over to the dark <laughs> side. <laughs> Sal, another me. We piss story. on the line, Robin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. We jack off on it. While I'm uh, talking about religion, thanks, Sal. Um, You're welcome. That, so that's what's going on in organized religion. Some priest got kicked out because he said I. He said we no, instead we. of I. Yeah. And now he is out. And, and all those baptisms talk. have to be redone. And from less organized religion, there's Pastor Greg Locke, who we've played on this show before. He went viral because he got up in front of his congregation and he revealed the name. He want, He said there are six witches in his congregation. In his congregation. And he knows the names of them. But, of course, as he was standing up there, he wouldn't say the names of them. He just, it's, a, it's great. Listen to this. We got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Uh-oh. Oh, God. The, the loonies are going. You better look in my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch. You devil-worshiping Satanist witch. We cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. We break your spells. We break your curse. We got your first name. We got your last name. We even got an address for one of you. Two of you in my wife's ladies Bible study, and you know who you are, and we're going to ask you to get out, or I'll expose you in front of everybody. 
You can leave with your spells all by yourself. Or I'll show up next Sunday with a stage full of brooms. And I'll give you one and I'll fly your tail up out of this place in the name of Jesus. But we ain't playing your spell casting, witchcraft, nonsense, sage burning games. It sounds like a lot of people are in that room. He should be talking to about three people. (laughs) Three. I, I tell you, it's unbelievable. I, and also, these guys always sound a little bit effeminate. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, uh, it's a little we built. know we checked my wife, and I'm going to repeat that I do have a wife. My wife's Bible study. <laughs> Chris Wilding does a good impression of this guy. Do your impression, Chris, if you don't mind. We. And they're taking sugar water. And they're injecting it in their veins, and they're saying it's a vaccine. It ain't no vaccine. It's the devil's oil. It's the devil's oil. <laughs> We're checking their noses for warts as we speak. And if we, we do find such warts and broomsticks, we will reveal the names of these here witches. Notice he never lot, gave. Yeah, a lot of these ladies are very hot. I'm quite attracted to them. They clearly are witches. How did they get so beautiful? What's going on there? I need you to give me money so we can pour water over these witches and melt them. Melt them to the core until they're only we see. We'll see their giant hat laying there on the ground in a puddle. I'm bringing a broom and I'm going to. Sweep your tail out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to bring a broom, a mop, a vacuum, and see if they sink or swim. Ye doggies. Your spell itself. Now, say it with me. Penis is gross. Amen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I bring this to you because our world is rapidly disintegrating. We have six witches among us, two werewolves, and a Frankenstein. That's correct. <laughs> There is a gentleman here who has bolts in his neck, who I will reveal his name shortly. Uh, his He's name one of is the Deacons. Frankenstein's monster. He is a dead man they put together from other parts of dead man and now resurrected we, him with lightning. We're wise to you, and we know we're going to throw you in your own boiling cauldron where you make them spells. And let me tell you as much as I can that Jesus will lead me in a mission to land a house on your witch ass as soon as I can and am able to. Now, does the congregation turn and start looking at the person next to them to see if they're a witch? (laughs) And you're a witch. And let me tell you something. For those of you who have been bitten by the wolf, the full moon is a coming in three days, and we're going to see who turns into a werewolf by having a midnight uh, mass. Math. He's going to chain you to a radiator. <laughs> if you got hair and knuckles, you're in trouble. Someone in this congregation is a zombie, and I am not kidding. And I and have I- gotten word from my spies that one of you is Freddy Krueger himself. <laughs> And I am personally going to check each and every one of your fingers for knives. <laughs> and you will now, be discovered. Now, we are going to go outside and hunt for the creature from the Black Lagoon. Because I have been told he is around as well. Scales recently, and all. 
recently I was on a religious uh, retreat in New Mexico where werewolves live. <laughs> and you know it and I know it. And let me tell you something. Several of you, it was revealed to me when I was in my prayer circle. Several of you sitting here right now are Godzilla. <laughs> and I am going to check your breath for fire. And I'm aware of this. And you should donate to this church because we are the only ones fighting this religious war. Now, I told you about the time I saw a leprechaun sneaking around the holy water. Once the holy water is touched by a leprechaun, it is no longer good. Now, my wife is... Maybe they can't get up and leave because if they did, they'd be considered witches. <laughs> you know, you I know walk that. Out now that three of you are witches. Oh, imagine being there and uh, wait a second. <laughs> I'm in his wife's religious uh, class. Right. Some of you have climbed the Empire State Building, and I'm going <laughs> to see which one of you is King Kong, and we're going to expose you and throw you out of here. <laughs> We are wise to you, and we know which one of you. I Last night, I saw a bat flying over the moon. One of you is Dracula, and we will find <laughs> you, and we will say, shoo, shoo, Dracula. Dracula. No, Dracula. And Nosferatu. Nosferatu. I speak your name. Uh, I say Nosferatu. Now, it is not unknown to me because Jesus Christ himself came and spoke to me and told me one of you is the Chucky doll. And we're going to find you. I'm going to check and see if you have batteries in your back. All of you attending <laughs> services are good people or are you vampires? And if you are a vampire, we will find you out. That's it. That's you know, I just I read an article where the psychiatric community is very upset with itself <laughs> because they haven't figured out how to fix people. And they uh, they say neuroscience has let them down. They haven't ever come up with anything. That can help this situation. Oh, it's Mel Gibson, Robin. Hey, Mel. Oh. All women are witches. <laughs> and they just need to get down on their knees and fucking blow me. <laughs> well, you are angry. To Man, you love religion, right? You say women, all women are witches. Yes, all women are witches, and they're trading, they're, they're treating religion like a joke. Praise Jesus! Christ is my savior! I'll shove their brooms up their cunts! <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Gibson, we enjoy your movies. Thank you very much for dropping by. Blow me, you witches! Take off your pointy hats and blow me! Because yeah, I deserve it! Sometimes you wait do for deserve the weapon fifty. You're not kidding. You do deserve it. You've made so many great movies. You deserve 
uh, below me. You do. I deserve it. Treat me like a man with kindness. Get in the jacuzzi and blow me. You know, sometimes, Mel, I hear you saying blow me, and I think you're saying baloney. Baloney. (laughs) Get to the jelly and fucking blow me. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Mel. You know, but anyway, that's oh, this guy. I I've played him before. Here's a montage of some. But of the doesn't crazy it bother ones. you that people are sitting there and they continue to listen? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we this need is to the get problem. off this planet. Well, I mean, this is the same people who uh, vote for guys who now are supporting Putin. I mean, what is going on in but this our weekend? World? Across- oh, this guy. So here's this guy. A montage, if you will, of Greg Locke's song. You better get right out of Harry Potter mess in your house. That is full-blown witchcraft. It's witchcraft. If- yeah, a lot of his shit is about Harry Potter and witches. and uh, Right, because also- all the kids loved Harry Potter. <laughs> and also um, Twilight, the book Twilight. You know. Yeah, I, I agree that these are not the greatest books to read. But come on, I'm with him on that. Let's burn those books. <laughs> if you think for one minute that those political elites actually got that vaccination, you are smoking meth in your mama's basement. That's right. Bunch of fake liars is what they are. They didn't shoot and fake. That's very yeah. Mm-mm, they mm-mm. are fake liars. You are smoking meth in your mama's basement. Get out of town and take a buff. Yeah, it doesn't sound very masculine. No, <laughs> they're injecting sugar water into their veins. Some of you are watching <laughs> The Bachelor and then claiming you're straight, like you're living a straight lifestyle. Nice try. We're all Nothing in their arm but a bunch of sugar water. I'm here to tell you, there's a group of elitists that run this nation, a bunch of globalists that run the world, and their money runs it. And I'm going to tell you something. It is nothing more than a satanic death cult. It has always been about the children. It wasn't about same-sex marriage. It's always been about these pedophiles. It has always been about our kids. That's why Nickelodeon right now is celebrating the drag queens. I don't care what Hasbro says. Ouija boards are a portal to hell. Let me tell you about New York. We went and visited there, and I got to tell you, some of these people are going to musicals, and they're going to burn in hell. (laughs) You go to those musicals, you're going straight down when you die. And I Hello, Dolly, more like hello, Satan. Hallelujah, hello, Frisco. Hello, Frisco. (laughs) These globalists are wrestling in the nude. You recorded this 100 years ago. This is not today. We oh, no. went to New York, and they serve us something called brunch. Now, let me tell you something about brunch. <laughs> brunch is the work of the devil, and you know who the devil is, and you know mm-hmm. that he's into same-sex marriages. And then they come out and say to me, Pastor Greg, you want a mimosa? I said to this Satanist, mimosas are the semen of Satan. I said... They said they, af- they offered me a, 
a half price on something called Wicked the Musical, starring a witch, a gay witch. A witch. <laughs> <laughs> she's and thinking they, about being a gay witch like she's proud of it. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. When you go and see a gay witch, you're taking a one-way ticket to hell. That's what I do say. And you got to support this mission right now, and you better come up with some big bucks and tithe your brains out. Ten percent? I don't think so. 50 now you're getting warm and speaking of warm when i was over there in new york serving god they were serving me hot dogs that look like penises i know what's going on in How a big, bun in a bun yeah penis in a bun and what do you, you think know that what that's is? in reference to gay homosexual <laughs> sex Sodomy. by the way i do love this uh, other story about Mitch McConnell, you you will love this, Robin. This is uh, Mitch speaking about, yeah, he's a trip. They were asking him about the Voting Rights Act, you know. This is one of my favorite yeah. pieces of tape, and he says something like, um, uh, you know, Americans have no problem voting, and African American, listen to this. He referred to Americans. And then and African Americans. Well, that's yeah, exactly yeah. the problem in the country. Like regular Americans and then African Americans. This is a guy's. Well, United they're not States real Senate. Americans. You know that was always the trope. You know, real Americans. Here you go. What's your message for voters of color who are concerned that without the John L. Lewis Voting Rights Act, they're not going to be able to vote in the midterm? Well, the concern is misplaced because if you look at the statistics, African American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. A recent survey. Uh, 94% of Americans thought it was easy to vote. Uh, this is not a problem. It makes no attempt to Can correct Can he himself. hear himself? That is what you have to wonder. Uh, is that him? Hello? Hello? I didn't open the door yet. You can't say hello. Yeah, Let's try it again. Through oh, the try, door. That, try that again, yeah, Okay, here we go. <laughs> Oh, look, Robin, yeah. it's Mitch McConnell, Senator uh, Mitch McConnell. Surprise, uh, surprise. Uh, surprise. Yeah. It's a yeah. Senate huh. Minority Leader, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell here. That's true. Yeah. I wanted to uh, begin uh, by saying hello to my fellow Americans. And, of course, uh, hello to my fellow African-American. Robin, how are you, dear? Good to see yes, you. Yes. Um, we're talking to the head racist in charge. Oh, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just bummed out. Things are going into African America. How the uh, weather is. Uh, what are the uh, COVID numbers? I haven't heard much. And, uh, no, for no, no statistics. And that no. part of America. Robin, no. what have you heard from Africa, America? Is uh, COVID <laughs> uh, running rampant there too? You know what I do know? That Mitch McConnell discovered when he was writing his biography that his parents had been, or his ancestors had been slave owners. Oh, wait, uh, uh, that's not go there, Robin. You, <laughs> right, you left it out of the book. <laughs> well, you might have read that in Africa, America, but we don't have that book uh, over here in regular America. That's, oh, uh, I see. That's uh, uh, Mitch, as long as I... Mitch, as long yeah. as I... Uh, uh, you know, uh, why are uh, you here? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, just uh, it's just President's Day, and I'm just, uh, I have to say, I'm I'm ashamed. With the state of the republic, I, I I really am, and in all all my years of being the United States senator, I've I've, I've never seen things in, in such a disarray. It's just I blame uh, the administration. I blame Joe Biden. I mean, 
Scott's got the approval ratings of a 9-11 hijacker. You couldn't get much. At least a 9-11 hijacker got things well, done. Well, I got to disagree with you. I got to tell you. First of all, I like that Joe is standing up to Russia, unlike your party. And I I love oh, that please. Joe got us out of Afghanistan. And uh, and, and, uh, and he's taking the pandemic seriously. And he, okay, he seems uh, to be concerned about the environment. And uh, uh, yeah, Okay. Okay. All right. You're you starting to sound like a, a frightened schoolgirl. Okay. And I'll say oh, uh, all this stuff about the climate. Am I saying that climate change doesn't exist? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying by the time you and I will have to worry about it, uh, we'll both be long dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a good out. solution. <laughs> who cares? I mean, I'll tell really, you who cares. I, I listen. Cares? Let, all seriousness, Mitch. I've got kids. I want. Well, I want my kids. Kids, Mitch. Don't you care? Well, about I mean, I, I care about the next no. generation. I mean, it's very selfish of you. But I don't want you to worry. Because I've seen to it personally that our kids are going to have so much crap to worry about. I mean, <laughs> crippling student debt, uh, never being able to afford a home. They're not going to care about the environment. Just go give them a give them a paper straw at Starbucks, and they'll think they're uh, Greta Thunberg or something. <laughs> uh oh, yeah. you, said, you should not have here? said Greta Thunberg. I'll tell you that. Look who's here, what? climate activist Greta Thunberg. Oh, Jesus. How dare you give this horrible man a platform on your horrible show? Do you have any idea the legions of children he's sentenced to death with his climate-denying policies? He's an ecological monster who has stolen my dreams. Excuse me. Excuse me. How dare you? How dare you? Because I know of you, and you are one uh, one very angry young lady. And that's no way to speak to your elders. And I'm a United States senator, and who the hell elected you? You're a carbon-emitting coward. The only thing he rapes more than the planet are my ears with his lies. Uh, Maybe you should forget the planet and try cooling down yourself. I mean, is this a little girl (laughs) or is this some some angry hippie dwarf? I don't even know who I'm talking to. Now you make fun of little people, you sodomizer of rainforests, desecrator of Mother Earth. Now listen, hey, excuse me, are you not listening? You get the wax out of your ears because I told you I believe in climate change. I, I, I just don't care. Blah, I just blah, don't blah, care blah, about blah, it. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Blah, blah to you. Blah, blah that, to you. Blah, blah to you. Blah, blah to you. Blah, 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 blah. I hope the climate fires take you first so I can watch you burn. You know burn. what? You know what, young lady? You're annoying me now. I think I'm just going to I'm just gonna walk around my home running every faucet I can all weekend. Well, how do you feel about that? Would you like that? Oh, I'm going to take some plastic and just throw it in a goddamn pond. Hey, what, hey, do listen, you, you, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Sanders. Mm. You guys, evil Colonel Sanders. Listen, oh, Greta. Colonel Sanders. Okay. Well, Mitch, uh, Mitch, Senator Mitch McConnell and Greta true. Thunberg, the two of you are very important people. I would like to hear you discuss the issues. Is that possible? Yes. Sure. Yes. It's this one that keeps going off the rails. I mean, no. this is a very angry young lady. The issues, no. the issues, the issues. The Stick issue, to the issues. The issues. The issue is that this man silences issue. the voices of his constituents like he silences seagulls with his plastic soda can oh, ring. What do you, you say? You say, you say issue? Issue. You say issue. 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 <laughs> Mitch, how do you say it? I say, I say like an American, I say issue. Issue. It's you. It's issue. No, it's issue. It's 
Excuse me, Robin. Okay. I'm not. I'm not addressing <laughs> you. I'm saying it's you. You're right. And right now, you're talking to Americans, right? You say, I'm, I'm saying to Americans, and in, in, in African America, I don't know what the hell you say, but we say it's you. It's you. Okay. Ah, yes, so, all right. I want you all to right. calm down, because you know this little girl. Uh, you know she's like a tree hugging tyrant. I mean, don't you have the hall of a hotel you can haunt with one of your twins or something? You creepy little thing. What you, you creepy little girl? What you are you weird. Because McConnell, where yeah. will your money get you? Where will all of your money Far. get you when the planet is awash with drying lakes of fire filled with trillions of pieces of plastic, while the seabirds crow their last sullen cry of pain and terror? Tell me, Mitchell. Oh. Tell me. You know, Howard, I think this is very sad because this is a beautiful young lady. And, you know, you should be pressing flowers. You should be out talking to boys. You should be going to antebellum parties. I mean, kid oh. stuff, you know, just little kid stuff. And you're so angry and it's going to age you so fast. I mean, she would, it wouldn't kill you to run a comb through your hair, put How on a little you? bit of rouge. You should go uh, back to your lily pad and eat some flies. Why don't you go <laughs> chew on some tree bark, you little climate diva? I'm sick of you. I'm really Racist sick Grandpa. of you. I hope a I hope a polar bear takes a shit on your head. What do you no, think about no. that? I hope your you neck think finally that? swallows your head. All right, all right, you guys. Boy. This is getting personal. I want you Bustle both to say. Fucker. I, I want you. I want you to say one nice thing about one another. Greta, you go first. All right. I am very happy that Mitch McConnell is so old; he'll be dead soon and won't be able to ruin the planet any longer. Okay, well, if I may respond, uh, all kidding aside, you know, I've been listening to this young lady, and uh, she is intelligent, and she has struck a chord with me, and I'd like to announce from this day forward that uh, after speaking to you, I am now absolutely pro-abortion. I believe in abortion. I think really late-term abortion. I'm talking, how old are you? I think like 18 years, 50 a trimester, coat hanger to the head. It's all okay with me. All right, that's you. You You know, you've really pissed me off. I'm going to, I'm going to start ripping off paper because you know what? God damn it. I don't care about trees. I don't care about trees. First thing I'm going to do when Trump gets back in office is have him nuke Sweden because you're an idiot. I mean, you really are. Hey, why don't you answer me this? I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Hey, Tim, uh, you're on the air. Tim in Tennessee. Hey, Howard, how are you doing? Hey, now. Hey, I just wanted to call in and say that we used to go to uh, Pastor Locke's church for about, I don't know, we went about 10 times, and then uh, it started getting crazy when we left. But it was, before that, he was one of the best preachers we'd ever ever heard. And uh, he got divorced from his wife and married the... Uh, youth pastors, uh, youth pastor, youth group, whatever you want to call her, uh, married her, and and um, he just went downhill from there. It seems like to me, outside looking in, that he just loved the, um, you know, the tension and all that. When the Target thing, he got on the news for the Target thing when uh, they was going to make the bathrooms unisex or whatever. Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong, but you, I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but. No, I know what you're talking about. Listen, the guy is uh, off his rocker. You know. Yeah. Well, I wonder what he was preaching about in the times he saw him before he married the youth pastor. Yeah. Well, he was. He was like, yeah, he was one of the best preachers. I mean, I'm I'm not joking. I'm not. uh, I mean, he was he was great. And then 
he just started getting cuckoo, and I, I told my wife, and she told me, I, uh, we, we can't do this anymore. We're not, you know, we was driving. I live south of Nashville, and he's, his church is in Mount Juliet, which is east of Nashville, and it was an hour drive for us. Well, we I got I yeah. got your number. I figured it out, Tim. You're a witch, and you. <laughs> oh, no. oh, you got me. Or a, you got me. Probably a warlock. Uh, Are you a warlock uh, that you're against, Pastor? Uh, well, I would imagine when you're sitting there and you, uh, you know, you, you're you saying, hey, you're entertained by this guy. There's no question he's entertaining. I mean, he certainly yeah, keeps you awake. Yeah. Oh, but the first time he starts talking about witches and, you know, and uh, there are six witches sitting here and I know their names. That's when you, you kind of go, OK, um, something yeah. something horrible is going on here. And uh, you got out. So good. That's it. That, yeah, he but, but I wonder about was there. Yeah. I, I wonder about the people who stayed there and still and, listen and to this guy. after he starts this nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, see, it started off slow, you know. You know how all that all that starts off. It started off slow, like you know, hey, this is what they're doing, and blah blah. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe so, you know, not witches, but other stuff. And then it just got it got cuckoo, yeah, quick. So all right, Tim, there you well, are. God well, bless you, you. There you yes, go, sir, Tim. We're proud of you. Man. Thank you. He didn't want to. He didn't want to listen to that. Uh, way to use your head. If only there were more Tims out there. Could, uh, well, you know, I'm sitting through, there thinking, clearly. you know, as bad as Sal's father was, he never became this. I'm wondering what the heck kind of father Pastor Locke had to turn him into this. We got first and last names of six witches <laughs> that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. That is strange. Why would they go to church? I guess to infiltrate. Well, they're trying to infiltrate and turn everybody else into a witch, I suppose. But by the mm. same token, you know, suppose, you know, people thought they could tell who the witches were. He'd have had a riot in, them, in that place. Yeah, yeah. You might not have been able to control the outrage at the right. witches. Well, there you go. Well, Pastor Locke, he, you know, aside from the witches and werewolves and vampires and uh, all the pedophile talk, uh, very, very spiritual man. He does, he doesn't. We just on a good that. show is basically yeah. what it is. We get entertained when we go to Pastor Locke's church. <laughs> Honestly, we don't pay no mind to Pastor Locke. We know he's cuckoo, but they serve great snacks over there right after the service. And we we, we appreciate that. And, and we, we love it so much. Uh, let's go to uh, David. David, you're on the air in California. Uh, hey, now. Uh, hey sorry now. to take you off hey the subject uh, with these kooks and so forth. And I know you hate right. to revisit certain topics. But uh, so anyways, you were talking about cover, uh, cover songs and so forth. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about your boy Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins, uh, The Landslide. Uh, the Stevie Nicks cover, I think that's probably one of the best ones that they do. Or uh, Metallica, you know, with the Garage Days or Garage Days Revisited. You well, know, Metallica does great job doing. I know they do uh, the Bob Seger song. And uh, look, let let me let me. I got a lot of mail. This opens up a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. I. Did a bit yesterday, not a bit, I, I got into a discussion, if you will, about uh, great cover songs because we were playing a cover song. And I said the best one was Joe Cocker. And then I gave you a couple others that were good. And then I said, hey, what are some of the worst cover songs? And what happens well, is... Well, I got one for you. Uh, the worst. Uh, anybody that tries to do Radiohead Creep 
I know you play yes. some sometimes, but nobody can do Radiohead Creep. Uh, it, it just do. You I happen mean, to be right. Yeah, David, you happen to be right because they always leave out the key element. The Brennan. That part where he goes, I'm a... Yeah, yeah exactly. And they forget, Great. they leave out the guitar part, that little riff in Radiohead's <laughs> Creep. You're always and, spot on and with they, that. And they, you need that. See, like, it's like... Exactly. Wait till and it I'm comes up. All right, calm down Germany. for a minute. Let me let me make a point. Right. You're killing me. <laughs> you, you don't stop yapping for a minute. You're, you're a witch. <laughs> when you were Right. Everything's good. When he gets that, that little angel. It's coming. Float like a feather. In a beautiful I wish I was special. I wish I was. Here it comes. Get ready. Here, shh. Be quiet, David. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. You don't have that. It's over. Exactly. I want to be the guitar player that does just that. I want to be brought in as a specialist. And just go. <laughs> 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 How long are you going to have to practice before we can go on the road? I think I could learn that pretty quick, actually. Really? Like, uh, hi, I'm the guitar specialist here to uh, play that ballsy moment. Wanna have control? Don't get your pedal. Your pedal. Uh, yeah, you need a pedal for that. That's right. Yeah, gotta wait so long for it too you just want to hear that one moment anticipation anticipation that's right uh-oh when he starts cursing you know it's coming that's you know it's coming. quiet down david go home it's so good hi everybody That's my part. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And here's the crazy thing. The band hates that song. That's what drives It's crazy, band. isn't it? Yeah. That's a, true. A, an incredible like song. song. The, band, yeah. the band does hate that song. That's true. And my part, because I'm so fucking masculine, I came up with that part where they go, print it. <laughs> Sounds like a frog. Like well, you know, I'm listening to the lyrics this morning, and after Sal's story, I'm like, that's a perfect description of Sal. Yeah, they wrote it about Sal. <laughs> oh, just real quick, uh, not to go off the rails here, because I know you're about to hang up on me. Uh, the, the Pam and Tommy uh, series on Hulu, uh, I've yet to hear you comment or talk about that, so I'm just curious uh, what you thought about that. I haven't seen it. I haven't watched it either. I'm a yeah. creep. All right. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks. Oh, so what I was going to say is, guys, all right. I, I, sorry, I was having some technical issues. 
Excuse me for a second. Yeah. Oh, hey, it's William Shatner, everybody. What's up, Bill? Oh. <laughs> when you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. <laughs> You're like an angel. Your skin. Oh, makes me cry. You float. <laughs> like a flood. Yeah. In a beautiful world. I wish I was special. You're so fucking special. But yes, I'm a creep. Yeah, oh, I, I should get my I'm guitar weird. and help you out. I That's I right. Yeah, he needs the help. <laughs> what the I want to hear that. You don't here? have a pedal, do you? I don't have my pedal. I don't yeah, have a guitar. I don't have a mouse that works. I'm absolutely fucking livid. But anyway, this whole yes. Oh, you do it. Go ahead, do the part. Go ahead. But I'm a creep. Right. Thanks, Bill. How you doing today? All right. I'm doing all right as best as a nine-year-old man can, having the perspective of leaving our earthly realm and looking down on you. Pitiful, pitiful mortals. My God, there's nothing left. Hey, Steve, there's Steve Nowicki. Hey, Bill, Steve Nowicki can play that part. So if you, oh. if you just go go up to the, okay. the fucking part or, and, and he'll come uh, in. Okay? I'll back up a little. Yeah. You float like a feather in a beautiful world. I wish I was special. You're so fucking special. But I'm a creep. Steve, you fucked the whole thing up. You must I don't know who's fucking up. But I'm a creep. Do it again, uh, Steve. Let me hear you do it right. But I'm a creep. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Man. You have a great day, Howard. Yeah, you too, David. Um, Thank you look, for that. No, but but here's the thing. It, this inspired so many letters, Robin, because yeah, yeah um, people. Everybody write me. wanted to weigh in with their suggestions. Yeah, and the point is, I covered it, and and yes, many people wrote in. Uh, Howard, what about Cinnamon Girl? Typo negative. Come on, guys. Well, of course, you know I love that. Yeah. And in fact. I remember I played it for Neil Young. He wasn't too impressed, but I love that cover. I think it's. This is uh, the guys on our show in 2000 doing it. I love this. But I, it's enough. I mean, you don't have to keep telling me your favorite uh, songs. I told you already my list. That's all that matters. People, people writing me with their lists. You know what we didn't mention was um, that that um, that girl who did the David Bowie song. Right, that that's a girl. fabulous. Yeah. yeah. What's her name? You're insulting her. You don't even say her name. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look at you. 
<laughs> I'm lucky. She's, she's got, got a new album. Song. Oh, she's got, got a new it. album out. Yeah, and it's pretty good. Uh, I was listening to it. Aurora is her name. Aurora. She, yeah, Aurora. And, uh, yeah, that is a great cover. And I was going to mention it yesterday, but I was like, you know, you can't, you can't say I have one favorite and then have them name 50 songs. You know what I mean? Right. Um, uh, and then someone wrote me, what about the sound of silence from Disturbed? And yes, I, uh, I love this. I love it. I made a movie, like if I was like Ben Stiller, I would use this in the movie. This would be perfect for Severance. <laughs> yeah, it was. It fits the mood. Yeah. He never calls and asks me to be in a movie, never uh, lets me co-direct. No one Maybe asks me for musical. Maybe he thinks you're, you're too good for him. Yeah, yeah that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be everyone's opinion. I'm, I'm too talented. That's right. You can't get my services. Their their script would be beneath you. Right. That's right. I love that. Oh, and then someone sent me this in 2011. Rolling Stone magazine published a list of some of the worst covers ever. Okay. And uh, that I love. I love lists like that. And Robin was referring to Life on Mars. Yes, Aurora was being one yeah. of the best. And it is great. It's, it's one of the best I've ever heard. Covers, I mean. That girl throws her soul into it. And I wish I could think of the name of her new album. But it eludes me right it's now. It's a god-awful small affair. To the girl with the mousy hair. Mousy hair down there. Mom is yelling no. And her daddy has told her to go. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. Now she walks through a sunken dream. To the seed with the clearest view. And she's hooked to the silver screen. But the film is a saddening boy. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's Aurora. We had her on the show doing that. And I always, I sometimes I go to it on, on YouTube and, and look at the clip. And, like, lots of people have watched it. And, most of the comments underneath are like, how did Aurora end up on the Howard Stern show? But <laughs> it was really quite simple. Stranger I, things have happened. I heard her song on, on the TV show Girls that Lena Dunham wrote, and I was like, man, they they, they played this outrageous version of Life on Mars, and yeah. she heard about it, and she said, I'll come in and do it live, and that was it. Anyway, so in 2011, Rolling Stone magazine published a list of some of the worst covers ever, and uh, I didn't even know this existed. Uh, Britney Spears did I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's pretty cheesy. What? Yeah. I can't get no satisfaction. She sings everything like she's getting fucked. I can't get no or taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take a shit, honey. Yeah. Sing it like you're fucking me. 
I know she digs me. Just went off the rails. <laughs> it just became a Britney Spears song. <laughs> but they listed uh, Limp Biscuits behind Blue Eyes, the Who song, and I don't agree. I th- I thought this was pretty well. This cool is the one. thing. Can you like these songs? I like it. Fuck it. I'm going against Rolling Stone on this one. WMC behind Blue Eyes. Limp Biscuit. W N B C. No one knows what it's like. I think maybe, I think maybe they're referring like in the middle of it. it right. They do some rap or something, and I guess it, Rolling Stone didn't like that. But I like the beginning of it. You know. I think in here it gets kind of crazy. Wait, I'll fast forward. Uh, you haven't gone far enough. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. See here. I think that's what they didn't like, but who knows? Well, nothing's wrong with that. Uh, that's, you know, a credible cover. You mean in the middle of a Who song, spelling your name like a robot? L- yeah. I- you got to do something to make it yours. <laughs> L-I-N. How about R-O-B-I-N. Quiver. I like it. <laughs> if you like it. I'll write a song for you then, if you like that. <laughs> and then they mentioned Madonna's American Pie, the... The classic by Don McLean. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's not horrible. It's it's just kind of nothing. Well, actually, nobody should cover that. Yeah, it's too boring. Actually, I'm not sure I love the original. That's right. The original is questionable. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Let's tighten it up. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I'm sick of interpreting it. Maybe they'd be happy for a while. Trippy. Uh-oh. This is where it went wrong. <laughs> Wee! Anything that sort of sounds like a calliope, you should not put into a song. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> la, 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 la. So that was Rolling Stone's list. And uh, some of you were kind enough to send that to me. I would actually like to go through that list on the air. I think it would be fun. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. I didn't know anybody had done a list like that. Yep. I tried to put together a list yesterday, but in our own haphazard, lazy way, we just kind of winged it. You know, that would be like, you know, there's always the list of the greatest drummers, the greatest uh, guitar players. What about the worst? What's the worst drum solo? What's all that? All right, well, there you go. I don't know. I like that idea. Britney Spears, everyone. She wants to uh, do a cover song. Go ahead, Britney. <laughs> Britney? Close the door. Hey, dude. <laughs> what happened? 
there. I closed the door on her. I just heard Hey Jude, and then I shut the door. All right, honey, don't worry, don't worry about it. All right, listen. Yeah, she just got a good big deal, $15 million to tell all. I know. Um, for those of you, lest anyone think Britney Spears didn't want to sing Hey Jude, she did, but uh, her father wouldn't allow it. He still has some sort of weird control over her. Uh, oh, by the way, just to finish the mail, J.D. and Blit in L.A., everybody liked it. Uh, Howard, I'm laughing so hard listening to J.D. get proposed to on the plane. Um, I also feel so awkward. More John Blit too. I love him. Uh, well, the fans have spoken. They like John Blit and J.D. traveling around together. I know. We got a road trip, those guys, uh, seasonally. Yeah, every quarter. <laughs> I'm starting the John Blit fan club. He's tremendous. JD should have gotten him back by aggressively aggressively French kissing him while grabbing his cock and balls. Oh, I don't think that Oh, yeah, that would have really John. gotten him back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it would have been right there. Uh, when John Blit proposed, JD should have yelled, not if you were the last man on earth. I think JD didn't want to get into the theater of it he just wanted it all to go away he wanted it to I mean. go away yeah he was just trying to expedite things i could listen to those two guys recount trips all day it's brilliantly hilarious send them to wine tasting <laughs> dinners broadway shows independent film festivals and everywhere else that you can uh go uh here's a clip of john being congratulated by all the passengers on the plane after he proposed to jd as he walked back to his seat just to relive that great moment because uh, so many of you love it. Here it is. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Nice. The whole plane loved it. What nice. a lovely plane of people. Yeah. What a liberal-leaning plane. I would like to meet them. No, they're not liberal-leaning. They're just not nonsensical. No, the plane was actually tilting left. Leaning they liberal? Leaning left. <laughs> uh, we got to know a little bit about John on Tuesday's show. One of the fans uh, was referring to the fact that John has a reputation in our office of having elaborate, expensive dinners with the staff, including $300, $400 bottles of sake. One fan thinks something is fishy. I spend a lot of time eating out. It adds up quickly. So Howard is right on to question how Blit affords his lifestyle. Don't let up, Howard. I smell a trust fund somewhere, especially considering the fact that Blit said he had no credit card debt. Uh, you know I what? Agree. We might discover a crime, so I don't think we really want to take a look. To get an idea of what it's like to have a 25-course sushi dinner with J.D., here's a montage of J.D. at dinner in L.A. the final night as they they feasted on sushi. Or nothing too spicy or anything. That's and I'll need a fork, too. <laughs> I don't know how to use chopsticks. Ah, okay. No resistance. No resistance at all. Oh, a little kick. All right. All right. If we need a fire extinguisher to my mouth, I'm, I'm kidding. Ugh. All right. Now, I don't know flavor profiles and stuff like that, John. I just know what's good and what tastes bad. Sake review? Oh, fucking great. Monkfish. Liver. All right. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There it is. There's a big night out on the town. Also, I got a note that J.D. thought wasabi was edamame and kept getting confused. 
Is that right, JD? I don't want to. I don't want to slander or lie. I, I mix you. the names up sometimes. I don't know what to tell you. I, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I mix it up. Well, Sitting you won't here. mix them up in your mouth. <laughs> no, no, that is. I know better not to eat wasabi. So, although I did have a well, little bit. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I noticed JD when he's eating, uh, he starts complaining about he doesn't want spicy food, and even the food yes. he complains about doesn't seem all that spicy. I feel like he's probably needs a dental appointment because everything's irritating his mouth. No, you know no, I mean? no. I start sweating. I sweat very easily, and if I eat something like even remotely spicy, like Chipotle is like my limit of spice. I can uh, give JD a dental checkup. Get in there. <laughs> no. no. No, I can. I'm good at that. No, that's okay. Look at your molars. Yeah. All okay. right. Okay. No, because everything to me goes, man. This is spicy. This is spicy, and it's like, it's like not even that spicy. Some of the dishes he's describing. Am I right, John? Do I have that right? You have that right. Yes, there was not. Well, you know what? There was one kind of warm dish. It was like a a tofu kind of cream, and that burnt JD's mouth. And it wasn't really burnt. I, I didn't say anything. Burnt my mouth. Yeah, you're you talking oh, it's about. So hot. It's so hot. And it was that little custard dish. It was the custard uh, dish. Remember. That w- you remember that? Oh well, there was something that started out spicy, but then it like it uh, it eased back after you know once a you know it uh, the 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 spice went away. <laughs> Whatever. I just, I'm not a spicy food guy. I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't do with my mouth. You're a weirdo. (laughs) I know that. JD ate half the sea of Japan because he had, (laughs) what was that weird thing he ate? It was, uh, 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 monkfish liver, ebby. Um, he he ate uni, three types of uni. But the best was there was a a ceramic plate with a pattern on it. And JD thought it was like a sauce on the plate. And he was like, John, uh, what, what do I do? Do I rub the sushi onto this uh, sauce on the plate? I'm like, dude, it was, it was just it was a, a ceramic de- plate. Yeah, it was a design on the plate that I thought, you know, you know, these fancy places, they put like little designs yeah. on the plate with like a, with a sauce or whatever. And I thought, but that was like really taking, a design on the plate. Yeah, it's like taking a, it's like taking a three year old to like a, oh, well. Well, it's a, it well actually, amazing. it's more like Tarzan. You know, you get him out of the jungle. <laughs> and I've never seen his plates before. I want to a fantastic like restaurant. A bear, like a friendly bear. Happy I, learned friendly something, bear. Okay. I learned something about the trip that I didn't know, and I don't know how you left this out of your report, John, but I learned that the night that J.D. went to Natalie Maine's house and, you know, he was being, uh, you know, celebrated there and everything, <laughs> that he fell asleep at Natalie's house. I yeah. mean, well, I nodded so off. I nodded off for a oh second, a brief second. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen, John? So we're, we're sitting in her living room. We're all chatting. And Natalie's like, John, John, just look, look, look. And JD's just oh, <laughs> complete dreamland. No. Oh, yes. Well, no, I nod off for like a second. And then I look up and I see everyone. St- I see John and Natalie staring at me. I'm like, oh, no. They were getting an original JD moment, and so everybody had to stop and observe. (laughs) You know, watching JD sleep is the best. He came over for dinner um, one night, and we're just kind of chilling out on the trampoline, and JD just kind of nodded off, and he was snoring away. It was just like it was like sleeping with a bear. It was a once in a lifetime experience. But don't you think it's because he's overweight and he's like gorging on uh, fast foods and and. (laughs) 
and drinking and getting high. I was drunk. That's what edibles it was. and edibles, drinking. Yeah. And edibles, yes. I always tell him, I'm like, JD, this is 20 milligrams. Take half. And he takes the whole thing. Oh, no, you're, now you're full of <laughs> no, shit. It's, now it's, you're it, acting it, like an asshole. It is 100% so, true. I would not that, take anything 20 milligrams. Yeah, you did. I, oh, I wouldn't what? lie. I wouldn't lie to Howard and Robin. It's just not <laughs> okay. my thing. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Whatever. You're but the best you know, like, John? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when, when JD was waxing poetically about how waxing he Waxing poetically? You were waxing poetically about edamame and how you kind of like it. He was like going on and on. And the sushi chef was like, uh, it's uh, wasabi. And everyone around <laughs> him started laughing that he was confusing the two things. It was such a, a great dinner moment. It was really, really funny. I love dining you- with JD. I know you're the ultimate prankster and everything, but how do you mm-hmm. not carry a little one of those uh, air horns with you for when JD falls asleep to wake him up? <laughs> next <laughs> next oh, time, I, uh, <laughs> no, I will. Then if that's gonna happen, I hate those air horns. I'm not. That's not happening. See, that even makes it better. <laughs> no, it's yeah, not, no, it's not. No. No, it's not. <laughs> You're not going to leave the dinner table. <laughs> ah, <laughs> kill you. Can you imagine at Natalie Maine's house, John pulls out an air horn to wake JD oh, up? I will, I will kill you. Like, Natalie was telling you how, you know, I was, the sofa I was sitting in, Michael Jackson actually sat in that sofa at a party she had. And then she's telling me this story and she's like, John, look, look at JD. And he was just, it's amazing to watch him sleep. It's the most Why is it amazing thing. to watch him sleep? Because he's just so relaxed and so just, you know, he just, it's a, like what, like walking in the forest and seeing a bear sleep. It's an, right. it's an incredible once in a lifetime experience. You know, what's funny. Like if I go to someone's house, I'm so on edge, I guess I could never be so relaxed that in a room full of people, especially like Natalie Maines, you know, like Again. I don't think I could possibly fall asleep, but like JD, Again. just the, I was just very, I was, I was drunk and, uh, it was towards the end of the night. Like you, I should have been in bed probably an hour before that. So can I say something? And I'm, I mean, this as a friend. I think sometimes you overdo it. Like John said, you took, what do you take 20 milligrams of? It was a gummy 20 of uh, THC. When was right. this? Was this, this in LA? No, this uh, is not in LA. Well, this that's is a whole a, different story. Then. Yeah. This is at our house. <laughs> so, all right, well, I mean, I, I, I knew this guy like two years ago. He wasn't taking anything and I met him. He wouldn't even drink. Now he's like right. practically an know. alcoholic and he's busy with the. <laughs> The gummies. Passing out. <laughs> Living life, man. Living life. And I think we should have an intervention, JD. I'm, really wor- I'm worried about you, JD. I bet you I are. I bet you are. You need to stop drinking and doing all these drugs. Okay. You know what, John? I'm worried for John, you. John, I have to admit, you're the one supplying most of this stuff to JD. You're the enabler. Should- yeah. yeah, I don't know well, if you should be at the intervention. I don't have a dealer. Listen, I'm not perfect. I, I do my best, but... Uh, well, at JD, least you're please. willing... At least you're willing to have an intervention uh, for yourself and JD. That's nice. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. So, um, and also, um, JD told us in LA that the cactus shirts he's wearing now is one of his. That's like his best oh, shirt. If you notice, that was JD, an acquisition in LA. I guess. Yeah, it's one of my better shirts. I think. I guess. And it has little cactus all over it. Yes. Which is, uh, yes. Little designs of cactus. Cacti. Very, very, very attractive. Thank you. And we also finally learned while JD was in LA that <laughs> JD is in a film club, and um, the film club is where they discuss movies. And I guess it's a bunch of people. Do with you jobs. all watch the same movie? No, it's more like we text each other about movies we've watched or are I watching, see. and uh, you know, whatever movies you know people buy, uh, you know, <laughs> share them with the other group. Others in a group, so and, and John, these are very prominent people in the film club, right? They are all the real deal, one hundred percent. They are all yeah. in the film industry. 
all working professionals in the film industry. And JD is one of them. Film and JD is one of them. Yep. Well, JD's accepted him. into that. Yeah. That, they, I mean, it's like almost unbelievable that JD is hobnobbing with famous film editors, directors, and things, right? He's that, a tastemaker. They care about his opinion. They're <laughs> on the edge of his seat. He so is like, man. what happens? JD, let's say you watch Being the Ricardos. What do you write to your film group? I'll just, you know, I'll say, uh, I thought this was pretty good. I thought, you know, I liked it. Uh, uh, you know, other stuff. I don't, I don't, I can't think of it right now, but. Wow. <laughs> did you so watch specific. the movie? I, I did. Tell. I did. I liked it. I, I thought it was good. I thought, uh, you know, I thought Seemed Nicole like... Kidman was good. I like J.K. Simmons. Okay. Very specific with your detailed analyses. Of- uh, listen, I, you know, I'm, a, you know, I don't mind Aaron Sorkin. I think he's a, I like his, some of his stuff. So there you go. Like, I, love JD, Molly, yeah. I love JD Molly's game. JD wants to be a director, so obviously he studies. Um, uh, I just got handed this note. JD writes film reviews online at a site called Letterboxd. I didn't know that. Yeah, he is a legitimate film reviewer. So there Do you they go. say more? Uh, can no, you tell I, I he's wouldn't say the film? But I'm not Roger Ebert writing, you know, a whole <laughs> thesis on it. I'll just write some yeah. thoughts that I have, and that's it. Oh film criticism. Gotta, I got What is it? I got it. It go. is called um, Letterboxd, Film Criticism Letter. from JD. You should read one of them on the show or one time. That would be. <laughs> you want like to read my Letterboxd reviews? Review. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now I got to go to it. Hold on. Come hat <laughs> update. Uh oh, Robin. Uh oh, what? 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 There's a breaking report. The cum hat. (laughs) Oh, there's a cum hat. Uh, Good. I'm glad I have you on, you guys, because uh, maybe we'll bring in Benji into the discussion. I received a lot of email about uh, Benji not coming on Richard's Chief's hat. Uh, Jonathan Blit got home from L.A. with J.D., immediately uh, rented a bicycle, actually met Benji on the bicycle, took the hat and in a bag, got it from Sal. Don't ask the ordeal to get it to Benji quickly. And then in typical Benji fashion, people were shocked by this. Benji ruined the bit by not coming on the hat. He said, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know <laughs> I what to I do. I was supposed to wait. Yeah, I thought we were supposed to do it on the air. You know, like, so anyway. He, he didn't even save his jizz for the hat. He used no. it some over the weekend. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right, J.D. Uh, Howard, we are shocked Benji would fuck things up. What a moron. <laughs> it is just his latest attempt to undermine or even sabotage a great bit that Howard has brilliantly orchestrated. Please force Benji to wear the cum-drenched hat instead of making Richard interesting. Benji is a disgrace. He was literally getting paid to jerk off, and he couldn't even do that, right? (laughs) No one but Benji thought that he was supposed to soil the hat on the air. We all knew it would be a problem, and this should tell you to never involve Benji in any bit. I would imagine, John, because you moved so quickly to get the hat to Benji, you were probably a little bit kind of bummed out, too. Uh, considering you raced it over there and then Benji never came on the hat. I was annoyed, but I think Benji has some good news. I was very annoyed because I thought he, he would do it. He promised he would do it, but again, we got caught I, into it. I got to tell mouth. you, I hope he has good news because listen to this. Benji fucking up the cum hat bit. He's so fucking stupid. He is so clueless not to know that he should have dropped several loads on it already and weighed it. He's yeah, had I it mean, since can Saturday. Can we point out, Blit, you got it to him on Saturday. Correct. That's right. And by Tuesday, nothing had happened. In fact, the hat lost weight. 
Again, he's just angling for attention and sucks the energy out of the show. So, Benji, a lot of people pissed off at you. And now we are ready for the Come Had Update. <laughs> All right, where are we at? The Kansas City Chiefs hat. Um, I So last night at about 9.19 p.m. Come I, Hat Update. Go ahead. I came on it. Ah, okay, hey. good. You finally did yeah. your job. It's about time. You're talking yeah. about Tuesday night. So what happened? your come? <laughs> That's what come on it generally okay. means, I think. The come hat. I, I didn't jerk off someone else into the hat. Okay, good. All I right, so tell me hat. what's going on. Tell me for real. Don't do a shtick. What what happened? You took it out of the box. Um. Yeah, I was, uh, so, so I was going to do, I thought it would be nice to do it before I went to, well, originally I was going to do it when I woke up at like 3 or 4 in the morning. And before I go back to sleep, like the second sleep. Right. And, uh, <laughs> second sleep, like that thing, the second sleep. It's it like is. a hobbit. The yeah. second um, lunch. <laughs> hobbit. <laughs> and then I was like, but I was strangely nervous about it. Like, just like, oh shit. Like, cause everyone's, everyone's making out such a thing about this. Um, so I was like, you know, I better just get it done. Um, what did the hat weigh? You weigh? You were supposed to weigh it when you got it. I did. What did it, it weigh? actually weighed? So uh, oh. it weighed what it started at three point five <laughs> ounces. Okay. All so right. it's funny because Sal said it went from three point five to three point eight. Yes. When I weighed it, the hat was three point five. So I All guess right. I mean the water might have have evaporated. Come hat update. Go ahead. And you weighed it good. You did the right thing. I weighed thing. it, and then um, right. and you then you were going, but you were going to use your second sleep, but you didn't. We went with your first sleep before your first <laughs> sleep. And what time was that? Uh, well, I I got it. so I did just it. Just answer uh, the question. What time was your first sleep scheduled? Uh, after I finished coming around. No, 9, no, no. 19. What? Okay, okay, okay. I, I, so I don't know. He did it before he went to sleep. Huh? Right. What time yeah. did you? You're ruining the come hat update. I don't think I am, but I, I, I don't, your ben, question. I'm just, let me just answer like I'm you're answering in a deposition. Robin, am when I you're answering a, the question? No. When yeah, you're in a deposition. I think that, you know, there's a problem with uh, listening to your answers. Yeah, it's like Can pulling teeth. Can we see teeth. a picture? Just, Can we see a picture? We're getting, we're getting to that. We're getting okay. to that. Don't I want to see his cum. I'm sorry. All I'm right. Excited. Okay. You're going to see it. Listen. You're going to throw up. Get ready. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you so in other words you decided before you went to bed around nine o'clock you decided to Correct. jerk off okay so what did Correct. you do you took did you take the hat out of the box or do you leave it in the box um i positioned the hat on a chair that was okay. about the, the right height um i really hate jerking off standing up but i was realizing okay. it's it's it would be a pain in the ass like i didn't want to bring the hat in the bed with me and so Fair i put the hat <laughs> i put ahead, the hat man. on the chair um yes <laughs> i started just looking at things on the internet uh like news stuff like uh there was an article in the new oh, york here post we go. <laughs> here we go come on you looked okay. at news no 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 i was just look i was just like kind of starting to rub myself um, <laughs> why don't you go to you porn i don't understand why i would did you look eventually at the news? there was a girl right. uh the weed girl the weed slut Weed Slut 420. There was a news article about her. It was very hot. Uh, I got to get out of this. I don't know what his and then I is. I give the hat that. back to Sal. Give the hat back. Give the hat back to Sal. There's your weed. <laughs> what the Wait a minute. We didn't get any update. Come on.
Benji, you guys went come on. To, I watched stop the with porn. The, stop it and I'm tell me how, what did you watch? What did you? Why would you watch news and not porn? I just I was on on Yahoo News. Then why? I why when you're jerking <laughs> off? I don't go to Yahoo News. Do you ever look at the computer before you start jerking off and you just start rubbing no. yourself? No. I, I I go right to you porn. I type in why. Oh, yeah, you're more efficient than I am. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> yesterday, a caller called about a, about a porn called uh, Karate Dad Swap. Right, and that sounded kind of intriguing. Okay. And I watched I watched that. Good. And it was. It's a very like. Uh, I actually I recorded. Okay, myself. so you did you oh, come no. when you watch Karate Dad <laughs> Swap? I gotta I gotta move along. Yes. <laughs> About four okay. and a half right. minutes and into it, I came. Okay. Uh, did you come where? a lot? Where on the hat? Inside the hat. <laughs> <laughs> Were you proud right. of your load? It, I, it was a, I, I mean, it was nice. It was a nice load. All right. Yeah. Let's see it, the load. Fine. Let's uh, show us the picture. Okay, you took Robin, a picture. You okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> and I was going to have to scroll. <laughs> and now he didn't did, send it to Jason, so we could You just didn't send him. a picture to Jason? Benji. Where is the picture? I have. But where <laughs> is it? On your phone? We can't oh, see it. We can't see it, Benji. <laughs> what? You're supposed to mail the picture to Jason so we can see it. Let's see something. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I, I gotta think ask you I something. see it back there somewhere. I, I, Benji, let me ask you something. Did you it's see when Sal one. did it? And didn't Jason say, send him the picture? And no one's told me to send me the picture yet. If they want me to send the picture, somehow now, he never it. knows what's going on. What is going on with Benji? Benj, it's so simple. You come, you mail the, you take a picture, and then you weigh it, and then you send it to Jason. I did all the weigh-ins. I did all the weigh-ins and everything. All right, what did he weigh? He's still trying to show you his phone. Uh, yeah, mine only got phone. to 3.6, so this was before. Now, that's good. Jason, why do we not, why is he holding up his phone and not, uh, why do you not have a picture? I mean, that's the eternal question of trying to work with Benji. He's in all the same meetings with all of us where we all have the same conversations about how things are going to happen and the way they'll work. And uh, just like nobody told him to wait to come on the hat, uh, you know. All right. The, the, all right. That's it. He, right, Benji, put you, your Benji. phone down. It doesn't show up. <laughs> I know what you were going to say, J.D. I, yes, there was a notebook between. I calibrated it and I zeroed it out okay, before okay, I waited. Okay. The first, okay. the There's your come hat update. <laughs> And this, this bit used to be someone. Can you go get the hat now, Blitz? Right. Yep, I'm there today. <laughs> no, no, today? no, no, you can't be there today. I have to wait 24 hours. Benji, for real, are you putting me on with this? Like, you never, like, you don't. All right, okay. All right, well, all right, you did it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Did Benji, you watch at least... the uh, karate movie? No, not yet. <laughs> I haven't it's, seen it. It actually, in a weird way, it's very hot. And it's very funny. Like, you'll laugh at, like, because the guys start fighting and they do karate noises. But the two dads swap their daughters with one another? They're, they're getting the daughters ready to meet with the, sans, the sansei. And, they're, and they, have, sensei. they have to stretch. <laughs> sensei. Sensei. And they have to stretch them out. And each dad is working with his own daughter. And then for some reason, the, they switch. And one of the dads notice uh, the other dad is playing with his daughter's nipple. And then uh -oh. the dads, like, they go, <laughs> like, they do, like, a real karate thing and stuff. <laughs> right. And All right. Well, I'll, I'll check it out. You, yeah. you, you're, you're, in, you're intriguing me. Thank you, Benji. And, and it does, Our it says, I usually don't watch when it says teens, <laughs> but it said teens, but they had wrinkles and stuff, so. Right. They were hardly. <laughs> <laughs> Go hat update.
say you recorded yourself? Yeah, you know, Richard Christie asked me to uh, do an audio recording. Can, can you play the audio of it? Is it were you loud? Did you send it to I, Jason? The, the I audio sent recording. It. <laughs> it, no, the, the, the first I'm hearing of it. First time hearing. Benji, if you went to the trouble of recording it, what were we going to do with it? If you you got to send this stuff to Jason. Why don't you? You've been working. You're the longest working guy here. Besides me, Robin, Fred, and Gary. That's it. And it's you. You're a senior dude. You don't. If you keep it in your. I know you don't look through your phone now. We have to. And now he's going to try it. to play it into his mic. Yeah, we edit it. You don't know that? Benji, look at me seriously. You don't know that we do that? He doesn't even know that show. you're talking to him right this now. Do you, like do you hear me? I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Fuck. <It's even> worse. <laughs> no, Ben, seriously. Seriously. You I'm don't listening. know. Uh, do you purposely not send it to Jason? Tell me what goes on. I, I want to help you. <laughs> do you understand what we do for a living? Seriously. Yes. What yeah. do we do? But when, 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 wasn't it great when Sal jerked off into the hat and then we put up a big picture and everybody got freaked out? And and then um, if you have audio, Sal had audio. He gets it to Jason. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> so ridiculous. And he's still gonna do it, no matter what you're saying. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you, Benji. I more than him. I know. I. I, I'm Make not him go away. It's the video, and then every once in a while, I go, I, 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 you'll hear me go. Oh. All right, okay, all right, Make all right. We'll do away, your thing. Please, please. <laughs> I, I have no control over this. <laughs> I want to say does. thank you to doctors. Anyway, Benji, have fun with the hat, and we'll get an update tomorrow. Hopefully, Howard, we'll I have a plan for JD's uh, next uh, next adventure. If you want to hear it, what? Is, uh, I can't do it. Ben, Benji's doing shtick underneath us. We'll oh. do it another time. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you can you guys knock off Benji or no? Not kill him. Just take him off the air. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean kill him. I mean, take <laughs> off his, take him off. Okay. <sighs> wow. Wow. I'm really shocked. You can't be. You work with him. I am. I, I, I'm always shocked by him that he, and I don't think he does it on purpose. I don't know what his deal is. Howard. You don't Stop. know the half of it. You just don't know the half of it. I've been dealing with him. He's, he's, I think he's nuts <laughs> now you're getting close <laughs> natalie you're on the air in pennsylvania <laughs> i just i have to call because i can't when i listen to benji it just it, it makes me crazy i he has to either be on something or on the spectrum there, there's got to be there's no way that a human person at his age can act like this and when you ask him a question there's never an answer it's just i know it's very frustrating me. And I, I swear to you, it continues to be this giant question mark in my life. I really don't, you know, I, I really don't. Are you going to keep Benji. him until you figure it out? Is that what I'm, that's right. I'm determined to figure that that enigma is that is Benji. I, I just yeah, don't I, know. The bit was so great, totally normal until Benji got involved. And now it's like, yeah, I don't know what to do. I recorded myself, but I didn't send it to anyone. And we it's all weird. knew that he was going to do this. We all knew that he was going to do this. And we just went for the ride anyway. <laughs> Benji made the cum hat weird. You know what I mean? Like, it became, it became, I became angry with that. Well, it became a hat. bother instead of, right. you know, this exciting thing. I don't know. Like, we're squinting to try to see what happened. Are you against me giving the hat back to Sal and let him just put on no, some I calories on there? Promotion. I think Sal deserves a promotion. He, he shined through this whole thing. All right, thank you. Yes, Mike. Mike from Maine. Go ahead, Mike. Well, Howard, 
You know. Hey, yeah. uh, I, I think everyone's being completely unfair to Benji. You just said the guy's been on the show the longest of anyone besides, you know, you and, and Robin and Fred and Gary. We know exactly who the fuck Benji is, and this is what we right. expect out of Benji. And Benji's the best, by the way. I love you, Benji. You're the best. I appreciate everything. He delivers. He delivers Benji every time. (laughs) He does deliver a consistent Benji. You make a good point. (laughs) Kendall, go ahead in Michigan. Yeah, I did some uh, research on Jonathan Blitt. Uh, Yesterday, I Googled him. He's worth $16 million. I believe it. I believe it. (laughs) Are are you for real? Did you actually actually say that? Yeah, on Google. I figured because John Blitt, whenever he goes with anyone from the staff to dinner or has them over to his home, he serves these very expensive meals. And, and you know, okay, he makes a decent living here, but not to be, not to be, I mean, John, are you worth $16 million? Time to fess up. If, if I was worth $16 million, I wouldn't have been living in a studio apartment for all my life. I wouldn't, like, when I first moved to New York, I worked at a juice bar for every day for a, a year straight. I had two jobs. I worked at Banana Republic. You know, I'm, I wish I was worth 18 million. Maybe you're like, you're an American we, we, dream. What are you talking about? You started maybe with you're like, <laughs> but maybe you're like one of those uh, old ladies. They die in their apartment. They're in a rent control mm-hmm. department. And then they, you know, they come in and they take them out and then they see they had like $80 million and they never spent it. Yeah. yeah I wish. You know, maybe no, that's I, you. Yeah. I wish All I was right. worth it. Yeah. I mean, Eric Andre makes a real good living. And mm-hmm. when John was working with Eric Andre, they went to a restaurant that John took him to, and Eric walked out because it was too expensive. So, right. I mean, and Eric makes a lot of money. I mean, he's he's pretty well off. So I don't know. But Blit does this all the time. You know, they're always talking about these dinners at his house, and he's yeah. not even having like one or two people. Sometimes he's six, seven, eight, ten people. It's usually four just- people. Four. four or five. Yeah, four yeah. people. I don't do it's because it's Not too major. my apartment was too small. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. It says here. Well, uh, when Blit Jason makes... died or almost, I thought there was everybody there. Mm-mm, was, the was site me, says Gary, that Blit, Blit makes four million dollars a year. So there you go. I knew wow. I knew we were I knew we were overpaying him. <laughs> <laughs> Although his recent trip to LA he earned every penny of it. Thank yes, you. Jason. Thank you. I was gonna say I love going out to dinner with John, but I have to plan. Like, it's part of my, like, quarterly budget, like, when we go out. Yeah. Like, okay, there's a John Blit dinner coming up. I'm going to set aside a chunk of cash so we can go party. So, And you know what? I'll always ask if I'm going to order an expensive bottle of wine, I'll clear it with the table. I don't, you know, I won't. You're not like me. <laughs> Robin just orders it. And then says, yeah. Howard, you pay. She's right. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how a lady does it. All right, Blit and uh, Where do I Jason. get that $8 million? If, if I'm it's going to be in your envelope this week. What's the matter Fantastic. with you? you <laughs> Thank we, you so we, much. We, we, once we read that, we knew we had to pay I you I think more. I'm going to see him on an episode of American Greed. He's got some kind of scam going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm the <laughs> Tinder swindler. Yeah. I want to thank Dr. Sheffield Certified Natural Toothpaste, the original toothpaste since 1850. Use code 100 at drsheffieldsnaturals.com for 20% off two tubes. Also available on Amazon. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm big toothpaste guy. I like natural toothpaste. I am not an electric toothbrush guy, but uh, no, I heard I, love I, I haven't my heard your toothbrush. Really, I I hadn't heard from Sarah Silverman in a long time, and I get an email from her that she sent to me and to Jimmy, and uh, she said, "You guys, I am going to tell you about this great electric toothbrush that literally not only brushes your teeth." 
but like you can floss with this intense stream of water right out of the center of the toothbrush. I had she, one of those ones. That's the water pick. Uh, yes. I forget what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Jimmy said he tried it and he said he was tired of his bathroom looking like a slip and slide after he used it because <laughs> yeah, it was well, water yeah, all well, over the place. You gotta learn, Jimmy, to be coordinated yeah. and keep all that water from going everywhere. I just realized I don't even want to like mess up my countertop with another piece of equipment laying there and I don't want to plug it in and I don't want to. And, and Sarah said that the, the electric toothbrush, you don't. I said it probably requires assembly, and I don't want to deal with that. No, it I'm does. too lazy. No, no. Well, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't want to get started with it. I'm, you know, my I dentist. Went to I a went to regular water pick, so I have a tooth, an electric toothbrush, and then I do the water pick. I don't want the. I think it's better when you uh, do them separately rather than doing them with the same. You, you know, the brush on it. I went. I went to the dentist. And I got an A plus and a lollipop. They said to me, "Your you, your gums, everything look great." So I figure I'm doing good with my uh, toothpicks and um, and regular toothbrush. But what do you do? You take the water pick, uh, not the water pick. Yeah, yeah. I guess the electric yeah. toothbrush, and you put it on well, your again, gums. Well, again, I got rid of that one because I didn't like the you're brushing and that water's coming out at the same time. You I'll know, drown. sometimes you like to concentrate where the brush yeah. is going. And that's why yeah. Jimmy is wetting his entire bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, but and you like the electric. down the front of him. But you like the electric toothbrush because it touches the gums in a way that stimulates And it vibrates, them. you know, it's getting a massage, you know, all that stuff is coming from the electric toothbrush and its sonic powers. And so mm. it gets in there. And I also use some stuff that, that bubbles and, you know, gets in and around all the teeth and all that stuff. And nice. then I take the water pick and yeah. then go around all all my teeth. I had one of those. I, maybe I'll get another one and try it. We'll see. I we'll see, it. Robin. Ben Stiller is uh, here today. He created a... Um, uh, he directed, I should say. I should get it right. Oh. Look at you. Oh, I'm having such a bad hair day. Look at Ben's hair. Hey. It's so nice. You have good hair. I mean, it's nice no. and quaffed. Come on. You I mean, have the hair, Howard. My, is my <laughs> hair, Ben, you're a director. Is, is my hair too youthful <laughs> for someone my age? You think, have a nice haircut, conservative haircut. Yeah. What is, I can't do funny. what you do. I, I, I mean, I think about your hair a lot, actually. I think about <laughs> how it does. Yeah, because you are youthful. You're a youthful I don't even know yeah. how old you are, but I consider you youthful at your age. And I think the hair is part of that, too. But but let me ask you this, Ben. Uh, as we were getting ready for you, the uh, director said, uh, Howard, fix your hair. It's too flat. It's, right. uh, it, it, it's, it's you're getting payas on. She said. Yeah. she said it was tight. She said there's payas forming on the side. I'm thinking if I had a haircut <laughs> like yours, it would fall into place nicely. But your hair ben. is kind of part of your trademark. It's like you're, it's kind of like. Right? It's your thing a little bit. Yeah. Do you think I color my hair? Because I do not. I don't. You don't color your hair? I do not. Yeah. And, and people accuse it's me of so that. It's so dark. It's so. I know. That's incredible. I know. And I'm an old fart. But your it's scruff crazy. comes in. How does your little salt It's all pepper? gray. Yeah. Interesting. You are gray and you look distinguished. I like it. Yeah. I, I started you. going gray a long time ago. And then I started coloring it. And then, you know, over the And pandemic, you feel ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You feel and kind I, of silly. And I never realized how gray and white it was going because I'd been putting color in it over the years, you know, and then like over the years trying to keep some of the gray. And then when the pandemic happened and nobody went out for two years, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to let it come in. And it and scared, you look good. It scared the hell out of me and my children. 
<laughs> it scared the hell out of you because we know that many of your classic comedy bits in particular, like when you do Tom Cruise or you do, you know, or you do Eddie Munster and stuff, there's a certain youthful look. Yeah. I love your Eddie Munster, by the way. Oh, thank I mean, you. <laughs> yeah, I think you should do more of that. I think you could have built a whole career in just being Eddie Munster. I think we've, the generations that appreciated that have, we've, have come and gone. You know? You know what I realized? The first time you did Eddie Munster, I think, tell me if I have this right. For the four episodes you were part of Saturday Night Live, because you you famously left Saturday Night Live after four episodes. Very famous. That's yeah. th there was a uh, routine called Sprockets. It was like a German kind of television show, and Eddie Munster was the guest, right? Eddie Munster right. was the guest on Sprockets. Was that the first time you portrayed Eddie Munster? Um, yeah, I mean that was Mike Myers' character, Dieter, right, right? on Sprockets, Dieter. and. Um, <laughs> I had done Eddie Munster on my audition tape ah, for Saturday Night okay. Live, and I see. Uh, which it wasn't really even an impression. Let's just say what it was. It's just I was just being a guy who played Eddie Munster and walking around bitter and and sort of you know discontent and and you know I, I basically like walked around the Brooklyn uh, Heights promenade with a six pack and start and just walked up to people and you know in the full Eddie Munster outfit smoking a cigarette and tried to you know make conversation that was my audition tape yeah i loved it because you had the eddie munster ears right you know <laughs> and you had um you had the outfit on too you'd even have the short shorts in the you know that it, was it, the whole it, impression was just the guy dressed up a, a grown right. man with hairy legs dressed up in the eddie munster outfit. and when you envisioned eddie munster you envisioned him as a former child star who's pissed off basically because the greatest part of his life is now over and he's got to live as an adult as eddie munster Yes, and I and there was a, a long time that I was sort of obsessed with former child actors and just that whole you know because that was that period of time when a lot of them were having issues and were in the news all the time, sort of you know just you know really bad things happening or just just you know and the effects of show business on a on a kid and I think probably because I grew up in show business it was just you know that sort of backstage humor was interesting to me. Yeah, I just realized that, yeah, of course, you would be obs obsessed with that. Your parents were so famous and so successful. And here you wanted to go into showbiz, which is usually a classic blunder. When you have parents as talented as your parents, uh, Ben's parents, if you don't know, were Stellar and Mirror. They were a fabulous comedy team that I used to watch when I was a kid all the time. They, they killed. They would go out and do this fabulous two-person act. And your mom was a great actress. And your dad, of course, we know from Seinfeld and all the other roles he had. And so when you have that in your family, to me, not being from a showbiz family, I would say, oh, shit, stay as far away from show business as possible. Become a doctor, become a dentist, do something like that. And, of course, you would be fascinated by Eddie Munster because you, too, were introduced to, you know, the, 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 the show business lifestyle at a young age. And you probably were confused about it. It was, I mean, it just permeated everything. I don't think I yeah. ever even really considered doing anything outside of show business, you know, just yeah. from a young age, because it was just so much. It was just that was what was going on in our lives. And um, and it was it all seemed really fun and much more interesting to me than what I was, you know, having to go through at school. So I was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do what my parents do. I want to stay up late. I want to, you know, go on sets. And Do you know what um, fascinates me about your career? It's. It's like you didn't, you wanted to go into comedy and you wanted to be in films, 
but she never did stand up or something like that, which is the traditional way to do it. You were always a guy who was a fan of sketches and little like movies and funny kind of bits. And, you know, you think to yourself, is that really a job? Like, like you go, is that really a legit way to get into showbiz? And it is. <laughs> I mean, but you know what I mean? It's a kind of an unusual path to be into sketches and doing little characters and things like that and little observational things yeah. in, 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 on little short films. Yeah. No, I never thought of it uh, consciously, except that I, I never had a desire to go out and do stand-up. Um, I, I enjoyed stand-up comedy and maybe right. also from, I watched my parents do it as a team. They did a form of stand-up comedy. It wasn't like they go out and, you know, sort of, I mean, they would talk to the audience and they would improvise, but then they had sketches, written sketches that they would do on stage. Right. But would uh, they, you know. would you see them at home, um, coming up with routines when you were a kid? Like, did they, did they go to the office, like in the house somewhere? Uh, and say, okay, we're going to sit down now and write out comedy. We're going to, we're going to, because I used to see him on Ed Sullivan doing, it was basically stand up and they were, they had funny routines and lines. So would they say, we're going to work now? Don't bother us. We're going to be in the room and we're going to be trying to come up with something funny. Is that how it worked? Kind of. Yeah. They had a, there was a, we lived in an apartment on 84th Street on the Upper West Side and they had the living room, which, we called the big living room. It wasn't really that big, but it was just, that was the room and it had like a, one of those like kind of folding doors and it had a very seventies style or apartment. Uh, a lot of like, there was like blue felt and green couches and, you know, it was kind of some, somebody redid it, you know, in like 1973. And, um, they had a lot of formica, white formica. I remember in this room, would they go in that room and close the door and they would work on their stuff. My dad had a big reel to reel tape recorder. Wow. That uh, he would tape stuff on. He saved all this stuff. Um, and recently, because uh, we just sold my parents' apartment, um, I've been going through all this stuff. My dad saved so much stuff. So there's recordings, hours and hours of recordings. Of did it feel like, wow, did it feel like a betrayal selling their apartment? I guess they left the apartment to you and your uh, They left sister, it to my sister. Or... They left it to oh, my okay. sister. And I think that was the plan. And, you know, um, I... <sighs> No, I, you know, I mean, they, Amy could have, I think, you know, she decided, I think it was right for her to sell it. And, and we all agreed and was, uh, but it was like, it was definitely hard. It was definitely hard to say goodbye. It j literally just closed a couple of weeks ago. And and did you like feel weird about uh, who is this family? That's I mean, th this, this apartment was your whole life and it was a happy life. It's like, um, were you like, who is going to take over my parents' sacred <laughs> apartment? Were you, a little bit, but I'm, it yeah. also felt like it was kind of time, too. You know, we had, uh, since my dad passed away, it's probably like a year and a half, um, I mean, almost two years, May. And so there was time to sort of go through it. I started filming in the apartment and just kind of documenting it and, uh, because I'm working on a on a documentary about them, and I thought, okay, I'm just gonna like, so I, you know, I can't remember all this, but I can film it all, and just, and I had a lot of time to walk around and sort of be there and sort of say goodbye, you know. Um, when Ben Stiller says he took, uh, he he decided to film his parents' apartment, you don't mean with your iPhone. You mean you go in there with a crew, and uh, you because you're thinking of turning their life into a documentary, so you're doing a whole. All shoot in there, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I started to do it with a crew, and then I also shot with my iPhone too. In fact, at the last sort of like the last walkthrough I did a couple of weeks ago, I just took my iPhone and 
you know, walk through and, and close the door. Uh, and yeah, it was, you know, I, it's that weird thing where you just now, I mean, I could always knock on those people's door and go, go back, but you know, it's just, it's different though. It's cause it's just, that was it. And who knows what they're going to do. They'll probably gut it and, you know, start again. Did you say should. to your sister, what do you think of these people who are buying mom and dad's apartment? Did you get involved in the act? Like, did you, did, did, did you, did you have some <laughs> I, sort I, of criteria? No, it was just money. That's <laughs> it. Mean, Whoever yeah. had the most money. And, right. and, yeah, and, you know, I'm grateful that they bought it. And, uh, you know, I don't know who they are. I, I know a little bit about them, but I haven't met them yet. Maybe we'll meet at some point. We'll see. And, your, and your dad, you couldn't have, a, a, like, a big funeral for him. I don't even know if he'd want that. But you couldn't have that big funeral because of COVID, right? So yep. yeah. what do you do? You do it over Zoom and have a little tribute with the family and stuff? Yeah, we had a little thing. Uh, my folks are buried up in Nantucket, uh, Massachusetts. Mm. And so we had a little ceremony up there. Very like that's six or seven people. When my mom passed away, uh, we had a big memorial for her at a Broadway theater, which was great. And, uh, you know, maybe at some point we'll do something like that for my dad. But it's just been so hard the last couple of years. So that memorial service for your mom the MC, like you, you planned it like you were directing a movie. You wanted it to go right for your mom, and it was important to you. And the MC that night was Bob Saget, and you're, yeah. and, and I didn't know why, but it turns out Bob Saget, who just passed away, uh, he he was close with your mother. They worked on something together, and and uh, you were quite fond of him, right? I mean, he was really a family friend. He was such a sweet person. I didn't know him well, but. Uh, over the years, uh, he would always reach out. Uh, he, uh, he did a play called Hand, Hand of God a few years ago on Broadway. And I remember he was great in the play and hanging out with him afterwards. He was, and everybody has said it, you know, in these, all these tributes, but he was such a warm person and my mom loved him. They did some Lifetime movie or something, uh, together and they just had that connection. I think they both had these sort of, you know, this sort of like really wicked kind of sense of humor, you know, not afraid yeah. to be, to go there and be dirty. And she, she just really appreciated him and loved him. And he just always put out such, such positive energy and was really, really funny. And, uh, I felt awful. I was supposed to do his friggin' podcast. And I didn't do it. it like a couple of months before it, he was like reaching out and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And, and then when that like, you know, the weird things that come into your head when someone passes away, I was like the first thing I was like, oh, fuck, I was supposed to. Why didn't I freaking do that? I know um, that feeling. I know that. That is the worst feeling. Like, oh, I'm a horrible person. I should have reached out. The yeah, guy was. Yeah. And, and you feel like a horse's ass. I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm I've still said yes to 30 podcasts now. Right. <laughs> Anyone you know. I don't know. No, because uh, it, it's weird. Uh, Ivan Reitman produced my movie. And oh, yeah. um, I, I, no, I hadn't spoken to Ivan in a long time. And like about a month ago, I said, I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling Ivan. And this is so unlike me. I never pick up the phone. I'm always filled with regret. I said, let me. He's such an important part of my life. He was so great with this film. And we talked for like 25 minutes. And uh, we talked about getting together in New York, blah, 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 you know, because he was coming in because they're doing a new Ghostbusters and blah, 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 blah. And we had this great conversation. And, of course, now he died recently. Yeah. Just like a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm like, thank God I did that for once. I did, the, I did it right. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I had a last conversation with Ivan. Great director, right? You must appreciate Ivan's work. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, the movies I mean, that he made are such a huge part of uh, 
for me, just like growing up and, you know, Stripes was such a, oh, I mean, great. forget yeah. it besides the other like big ones. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there are directors like that who just sort of defined comedy in a certain era, you know, and um, I mean, it, it, you almost take it for granted because those movies are so much a part of our culture. Yeah, and it, to to really think, oh wait, somebody actually went and developed that movie and had and and you know made those choices and figured out and you know that because these because now they're just so ingrained in us. Yeah, because you know how hard it is to come up with a hit movie that the public's going to respond to. It's I mean you've done it, but in in a way it takes you by surprise each time because you really don't know if they're going to respond. You can only do what you like. You have no and, idea. Really, I mean, and you know, there, there's a certain amount of awareness when you're making a movie that's supposed to uh, appeal to a broad audience in terms of what you're trying to do. But right. you know, you can't really even you can't manufacture that. You can't chase it. So you know, you hope it's going to work. But the thing about comedy is it's so subjective. So you know, those movies that he, you know that he directed, there was so much based on comedic voices too that he was orchestrating and you know putting in situations and um but they were driven you know by like a very specific comedic sensibility that i don't know i don't know you know it's harder these days to to really find that or that for for comedic actors to have that opportunity i think i don't hey, think it's so not right. out there i think it's out there there are a lot of really really talented people but it's harder to find uh, people aren't going to movies in that way you know to see those kinds of movies would have been interesting for you to you didn't know Ivan, right? You never, no, you never met no. him um, because I was reading that article about you on it in Esquire, mm -hmm. and uh, the um, reporter was like talking about your confidence in the editing room. It was quite complimentary, I thought, the way they talked about you get in there and suddenly you're the general and you're making all these decisions because someone's got to make the decisions, but you were making them with confidence. You knew what you wanted. You had a clear vision, and I saw Ivan work that way. Um, he would sit there and say, I know how to get a laugh here. We just got to do an alternate shot. And I thought he was like, you know, just showing off. But he was right. We do it in a test audience. And sure enough, if you did a close up there, you got a laugh. If you didn't, there was no laugh. And where do you learn that? I mean, either you got it or you don't, I guess. Or does it come from watching other movies and, and getting a master class? Uh, I, I don't think anybody, you know, knows knows really i think you know there are certain um you know things you can do that are are going to first of all i think the first person you have to be uh trying to satisfy is yourself in terms of as a point of view like that's the biggest thing so do i like this do i think this is funny do you know what would i want where would i want to be looking right now in terms of you know if you, in terms of like what's the next shot or whatever and how does that feel for me and because because that's all you really know and then you can hope that that is going to somehow like well i'm a person that other people might <laughs> find that funny or you know want to want to look there now too and then you you know but then there you know with comedies there there's a process too if you care about making everybody laugh where you you know you put it in front of people like you go to the you do the test screening and you do that whole process yeah. but it has to come first from your own instincts about what you think is funny because it's all so, you know, crazy. Like, you know, you're going to, if you're going to like take a chance and do some ridiculous thing, you know, you have to think, okay, maybe this is funny. I don't know. I'm just going to, but you have to commit to it and you have to give, you know, try. And then you'd be willing for it to just totally fail too. And you don't know. Um, how, how important, Ben, is the test screening? Because again, if you have a vision and you go to a group of people and they're sitting there and for some reason not reacting, 
Sometimes you got to just say, fuck them. I mean, yeah. I got to go with what I think, right? You can't rely on that. You can't direct a movie by what the group thinks. Uh, you can't, no, but you have to, you know, at a certain point, if they're not laughing, they're not laughing. <laughs> right. Know? And it's a comedy. And the thing about comedies is people judge them on whether or not they're laughing, whether or not they think it's funny. And so, you know, you could put all the production value in the world and you could have all the shots that you think are really interesting and cool. And if people are coming to a comedy and they said, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come to this movie because I want to laugh and they're not laughing, then you have to look at that and figure out, well, how do I, you know, get them to do that? So when you're shooting a movie like something about Mary, right? Yeah. And um, you're doing that scene in the bathroom. It's a classic scene where your balls and your dick are caught in your fly and the, the family's coming in to make sure that, you know, your your dick isn't uh, hurt or whatever. And you're, you're dying of embarrassment. When you're shooting a scene like that, are you afraid that you're playing it over the top, that you could be tanking here? Because it's such a fucking ridiculous scene. <laughs> I think comedy is way hard. You've done both. You've done serious movies and comedies. I think comedy is way riskier and way tougher to do and pull off than 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 drama. It's much harder. Right? I think it's much, much harder. harder. Yeah, because there's that metric, that hard metric. Are they laughing? Or are they not laughing? How so, do you yeah. know if you? But how do you know if you're playing that scene too big? Because it's so ridiculous. I it's thought the, it the, was ridiculous. I was doing it, and I thought this is so. I I mean, first of all, it was the Farrelly brothers. I we had never worked together before, and they had a totally different point of view and sensibility than I did about. All of it. And, and you know, they were, Peter and Bobby, kind of like just having so much fun on the set and and just, you know, having their friends and scenes and just doing these crazy things. And, I, and I'm like looking at the dog and I'm thinking like the dog doesn't look real. The dog looks fake when I'm finding the dog. And they're like, they don't care. They think that's great. That's what makes it funny. So it took me a little while in my head to sort of just and I realized like I have to just, you know, give in to their sensibility because, uh, you know, otherwise it's not going to work. Um, but when we were doing it, I definitely was not. And I remember when I read the script, I was like, oh, man, I, I, I laughed out loud and I thought this could really be incredibly funny or it could just be like the worst, you know, bomb of all time because it's just you know, yes. so wrong. Um, yeah. But then when we, when we were doing that scene in the bathroom. I felt I was I lit and it was like a a set that like I felt like oh my this set really looks like a set there's like it, I felt like I was in like a Marx Brothers movie or something like there's people coming up to the window and sticking <laughs> yeah they, 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 like out of nowhere people are just like appearing it's an absurd scene and that's what I mean yeah. you don't know the Farrelly brothers that well and you're saying to yourself can I trust these guys not to make me look like a douchebag right I mean that's the problem with working with directors. They're supposed to protect you so that you, you don't want to end your career doing something so absurd that people go, oh, this was the most ridiculous scene ever. And, and we never want right. to see this guy again anywhere. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't concerned about that at that point. I think I, I um, you know, all I was trying to do is like bring my own as an actor in quotes, I bring my own reality to the, these sort of crazy, unreal situations. But I also knew that this was like if I didn't commit to it, it wouldn't have a chance of working. So I had to commit to their reality, you know. Yeah, and you did it. You know, I was watching the Super Bowl ad uh, when I was watching the Super Bowl. I saw the um, they did a cable guy mm -hmm. with Jim Carrey, no less. Yep. And I was thinking of you immediately. I said, "Hey, does Ben know about this? Because <laughs> cable guy's yours." And also, I was thinking, you know, that movie has turned into such a classic, and people talk about it all the time. But when it came out, 
it had to be shitty because it wasn't a big box office success, right? I mean, and that's 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 putting it mildly, yeah. Right, it tanked. It tanked. Jim, it was reviled. Yeah, and t- and Jim Carrey was coming off three big movies, like ridiculous movies, like Ace Ventura. He was the hottest guy on the planet, and he's trusting his career with you, and you're the director, and blah blah blah. Do you feel vindicated when you see that Super Bowl ad and you go, look at this, this movie? I knew it was good. I knew people would eventually like it. Uh, did it? And, and and were you consulted on that uh, ad? Um, I was not consulted on the ad. Uh, Great. But Jim Jim sent me a text, I think, like two days before and said, hey, hey, dude, this is a super cool ad coming out. Um, it's funny. Cable guy. Uh, I yeah. love Jim. And, um, you know, and it was it was surprising to me because, uh, you know, I thought, oh, wow, they're going to go with cable guy. You know, that, that's and I could, I could see the tie in, obviously, in terms of the streaming world and, and all that. And it was kind of cool that, it, you know, yeah, there was that moment of like, OK, it's great that this still exists on some level in people's psyches. I think most people, probably young people watching were like, what the hell is this? You know, but it, it, you know, so what? Um, right it doesn't matter the character was funny yeah and when we did it people sort of had the same reaction (laughs) the first time (laughs) um you know so and and it was a a move that jim made at a time when he could really you know he was able to make any movie he wanted and was you know definitely the biggest star around and uh he he committed fully you know and judd you know judd and jim called me about it and uh uh, the fact that he wanted to go so far with that and also never, ever backed off it, even when the reviews came out and it didn't do well and all that. He never, ever backed off it in terms of his you know love for the movie. And commitment. Is that right? I wonder about that because I like I see show business couples sometimes and if they do a project together and it tanks, they they, they break up. It, end, it ends in divorce, you know, right. because it's like, oh, God, they, they they're just miserable together. And it can be hard. Yeah. The stress of when you have a, a you know, a failure is hard and um uh, but Jim has a certain um, confidence in what he does. You talk about confidence and making choices, and it's he really, it's really genuine, and he loves doing it. He loves, you know, he loves that character, and we laughed so much making that movie. Um, it, I, making the movie was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. Wow! Because um, you know he would do twenty, thirty takes and try different things, and and. and Matthew Broderick was amazing with him being, you know, just like being so uh, reactive. And, you know, it was funny watching Matthew and Jim because it was two totally different acting styles happening, too. Um, But that works, right? Because Matthew is such a great straight man. You know, he just looks like an innocent and he knows how to play that. He's the perfect foil in that movie. He's, he's, yeah, he's and he's perfect. also yeah. he's a good actor where he's he's taking the reality of the situation. Where he's going, he's watching Jim Carrey do this ridiculous face right up, you know, getting up right up in his face and doing this silly <laughs> lisp and just and he's you see in his eyes like this is ridiculous. <laughs> you see Matthew Broderick, the actor, the person saying this. What am I doing here? What am I using? You know, one of my favorite reactions. Matthew Broderick is watching Jim Carrey find the spot on the wall where he should install <laughs> the the cable and 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 um. And Jim is making love to the wall, and then he yeah. finds the the G spot, so to speak, <laughs> and he starts rubbing it like it's a clitoris, the yes. the, the yeah. wall, and it's like, and 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 the expression on Matthew's face is perfect. It's yeah. just really yeah. great. And and when you're directing that, can you tell Jim Carrey, all right, Jim, I don't want you to do it like that. I want you to do this, or do you just just sit back and go, fuck it, I'm not telling this guy anything. No, I felt comfortable with Jim. That I I felt like. 
I was a fan of his. So I was, I, you know, a lot of times when you're being, uh, when you're a director, you're being an audience for the actors, I think. And you want to sort of like be reactive to them in terms of like giving them some feedback that like, oh, this, especially in a comedy, like, oh, this is fun. Like it's make if it's making me laugh. I also wanted to be able to give him some guidance sometimes and say, hey, maybe try this smaller or try doing this. But he was willing to keep going and doing it over and over again and trying different things. He was so he would listen and uh, to ideas. But, you know, with somebody when they're doing something that specific, you kind of just want to give them a runway and the freedom to try things and then hopefully capture it and figure out you know where to put the camera and and stay out of the way a lot. Have you ever directed a film where you had to say to an actor, look, this isn't working? I, I got to get out of this with you. You know, it, it's not your fault. You're a fine actor. You've done fine work, but we're not, we're not gelling on this idea here and it's not going to work. Has anything um, like that ever happened in a scene even? Uh, in a scene, in directing somebody? Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't say that I've had that, uh, like a really uh, situation where it's really been, uh, I mean, I think sometimes people, you work with them and they try something uh, and it doesn't work and you realize it's never going to work. And so you just sort of let it go. <laughs> right. And you know that you're going to like, probably, it's probably not going to be in the movie. Um, but uh, I haven't had that, that really with an actor. Yeah, it'd be terrible. You know, I'm thinking too, I thought it was incredibly ballsy. I read about when you had the Ben Stiller show. After you leave Saturday Night Live and you go, this is fucked. I, you know, I don't want to be here. Uh, they're not doing what I want to do. And you get the Ben Stiller show. And the people you hired, Bob Odenkirk, right? Andy Dick, Janine Garofalo, come to my mind. Mm -hmm. I read that you hired them. You saw them performing somewhere. You didn't audition them. You just knew they'd be perfect for the show. I think that's pretty ballsy not to audition them because here you are banking your TV show on them and their abilities and you really don't know what, what, what gave you the courage to just say, okay, you guys are all hired. It didn't feel like courage at the time because I felt like we were all in the same sort of mix. You know, we were all doing the same thing at that point. I mean, I wasn't doing stand up, but we were all hanging out in Los Angeles and I was going to see these people perform uh, at uh, like places like the improv. Um, you know, and they were funny and they, and I thought I want to bolster my chances of this thing working. So it was no yeah. question to me that these people were really funny and, you know, and Odenkirk I knew because we had worked on SNL together for the short time I was there. And I knew Odenkirk, Odenkirk was a kindred spirit to you because both of you guys, I feel had a disdain for Saturday Night Live. Not the first five seasons where it was revolutionary. It was mind-blowing. It was live sketch comedy. Think about it. Where else could you get a job if you're into sketch comedy? It was Saturday Night Live. And I feel like you and Odenkirk especially were two, two spirits that met and said, this place is bullshit, that they've lost the spirit. It's not a place we can work. Odenkirk lasted a little longer than you, but... He was not happy there. Well, um, you're walking. True. Yeah, you're walking into a very structured environment. And first of all, you know, we were all there so excited that we were actually at SNL because I think everybody has that feeling when you get there. It's like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm part of the show. Right. It's it's kind of mind blowing when you're, you know, young person, you go into that. And at that time I went in and 
it was, I, I was lucky. I just, you know, the, the fact that I even got in there, I kind of like squeaked in, uh, you know, as an apprentice writer and featured player. Um, and I did want to make these short films. I, I was more, I wasn't that comfortable doing live performing. So, uh, it was, I didn't have a disdain for it. I was intimidated by it and, right. and, you know, uh, and couldn't figure out how to work within the system because it was such a structured environment that worked on this schedule from, you know, that started on Monday and ended on Saturday and had to, you know, peak on getting on the air on Saturday night. But to get to that point, like, to get to Saturday was such a mountain to climb that, yeah. uh, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't think that I could really figure it out. And, uh, and I had this other option that felt much more comfortable. So, you know, it might have been a little bit of fear, too, you know, of running away from it. Yeah. And the uh, and the other option was getting to do exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah. And also I was watching people like Mike Myers who were just like, you know, happening. And I was like, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't think I because Mike was so amazing at live performing. And, you know, I remember watching him do um I guess Wayne's world and just, and, and I had a character that was sort of like, uh, this like, uh, sort of like party guy from college named Howie. And I was like, Oh, and I remember watching him do it. Oh my God, I'm never, Howie's never going to ever see the light of day. This is like, so, <laughs> and I was just, it was sort of like, I, I, you know, I can do this other thing. It's more comfortable. It's not live. I can make the little shorts and, you know, films. And, and so that's why I left. Would your parents advise you on your career? Like they were probably really excited when they legitimately saw you go on Saturday Night Live and said, boy, he's got something. And then like four, four weeks later, you, you call him up and say, yeah, I'm leaving. Did, did, did they ever comment on that? Was your father uh, like, uh, you know, come on, what are you doing? I don't know. He never directly commented to me, but I'm sure they, they must have thought that, you know, and, and wondered like what, what's Ben doing. Um, but I was so on my own track and I was sort of like had my head down that I think I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't really listening to good advice at that time probably. Yeah, your father sounds like a real trip. I, I I read a couple of stories about him where you were, you were sixteen years old and you were taking a bad acid trip. Yeah, and you didn't, and you had such a close relationship or or felt comfortable with them enough to call him and say, "Hey, you guys, I'm on a bad acid trip. I need help here." And your father tried to calm you down by saying, "You know, when I was a young man, I smoked a Pall Mall cigarette, <laughs> and I had a horrible reaction to it. <laughs> you know, and like." It's That's so right. sweet, but like, wow, you know, he didn't, he missed, he missed the sixties and the seventies in terms of the <laughs> drug, uh, experimentation because he was so focused. He was, you know, he was such a worker. He was just, and you know, he drank a little bit, but he was not a party guy. Um, and yeah, but that was his way of trying to really, you know, connect with me and help me. And, you know, he was always there for me that way. Always. Yeah. I mean, that remind, you know, reminds me of like when I was homesick at camp when I was a kid and he came up to camp and, you know, he was very, very nurturing and loving and wanting and protective of his kids and wanting them to be okay. So I'm sure it scared the hell out of him when I called him up and, you know, and I was on drugs. Yeah, you were on drugs and <laughs> you were interrupting them. They were shooting a Love Boat episode at the time. I mean, That's how right. dare you? I know. Yeah, that's important um, business. My mom was a little more pissed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet. But to be so understanding, it shows you that, that you know, they're, they're exceptional. The other story I liked about your dad, I hope I get it right. But that you you someone stole your bicycle, and you knew who did it, and your father was angry, and he went to the apartment and he knocked on their door to accuse them, and then he came back down to you and he said, "Forget about it. That kid needs the bicycle really badly. He's a poor kid or something. Uh, we'll get you another bike." Is that a true story? 
Totally true story. We were on Amsterdam Avenue at a bike shop. My bike had been stolen in Riverside Park by a kid who took it, who I kind of knew, and then he never came back. And so my dad was taking me to get a secondhand bike to, you know, because they, they sold the secondhand bikes at the bike store, uh, you know, like a probably like a Schwinn, you know, three speed. And as we're as we're like at the bike store, I see the kid go by on the bike. Oh god! And my and I yell out, "Dad, there's the bike." That's the, and my dad literally chased the kid. I, I chased my dad down Amsterdam Avenue to 86th Street, and then went down 86th Street and followed the kid into uh, a fortune teller storefront. Uh, mm. And yeah, and he came out uh, like ten minutes later. He said, "We're gonna let him keep the bike, and we'll get you another one." Wow, what a that's a very unusual story don't you think i mean unusual man I, yeah i mean it, I, don't, I don't think of it as unusual because of my knowing my dad that he felt for the you know he just felt for the kid and the family and he wasn't uh you know he was a very yeah he wasn't a very confrontational guy but he was also people gravitated towards him because uh he was so genuine and like he was very loving and so like any you know anytime i talk to actors who worked with him they have these great stories about how they bonded with like tough actor, you know, people like Harvey Keitel, you know, they really, they love my dad because <laughs> yeah. they, because they just bond. And he had a spiritual side. He had a really deep spiritual side. He was, he was kind of religious, but not, you know, he'd go to a uh, synagogue, you know, maybe like four or five times a year. Uh, and if, but he was just very, very spiritual. And even like the, that acid trip thing, like for a couple of years afterwards, I was I was scared that I was going to have a flashback. I was like really, really, you know, affected me. And he would sit with me sometimes and just go, it's OK. And like help me meditate and mm. close his eyes. Close, he said, close your eyes and just like picture white light, picture good. Thing. I mean, it was when I think back on it now, that is pretty amazing. It is amazing. Believe me, I didn't get any white light or anything by <laughs> that. In fact, my parents are like vampires. They refuse <laughs> to die. They're still alive. So I don't know what it's like to have a, a parent die. And yeah. my parents are never, my parents will outlive me. But, um, well, it's that, you know, first of all, the longer that your parents stay around, the longer that you feel like they're never going to go to. Right. You know? <laughs> and that, that is the other thing. Um, and of course, you know, it's, it's a gift that you can have them around still. I'm sure you're, <laughs> are you, you're dealing, yeah. I know you're dealing with some stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you, after a parent dies, like like your dad is famous and all, yeah. did, did, did you start to hear stories about him that you had never heard before that people call you and start telling you things and maybe even things that you don't want to hear? Yes, or, or, sure. It does happen. <laughs> really? What did you hear that was like, you go, what the fuck? I mean, um, I don't, well, <laughs> I guess I could tell this. Both of these guys are, I mean, this is Charles Grodin just passed away. Yes, <laughs> you know you have. <laughs> I did a movie with him. This is uh, a few years ago. Uh, he told he told me that once he was directing my dad in a play on Broadway, <laughs> and he gave my dad some note as the director of what he should do as an actor. And my he said my dad looked at him and said, "When somebody talks to me like that, it makes me want to punch them in the face." <laughs> and it blew my mind because i never ever <laughs> imagined my dad but he had this deep 
deep, you know, anger within him and, and rage that he suppressed underneath, you know, the sweetness. And that I think would come out like eventually came out in his Seinfeld character. So when your father died, Charles Grodin called. No, you he actually said, told me that before. Oh, he did before. He, yeah, before. He oh, he didn't wait for he didn't wait for your father to die to let you know that. That's a funny story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I could see that with Charles Grodin. Sometimes you know he he could be an ornery guy. Yeah, for just, sure. You know, yeah, he, you know he, what he I mean? was definitely. I mean, a brilliant, brilliant comedic actor. Talk about a great comedic actor, but definitely, yeah, an interesting guy. I mean, listen, you, you've directed enough films. Has a, has an actor ever said to you, "Listen, you say something to me again, I'm going to punch you in the face"? Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> Not that direct experience, but I have had actor an actor who was like you know testing a little bit, and you know. <laughs> and, and what did you start a fight? Did they? Did no, they no, no. I just I finally it forced me to have to deal with my own issues about being confrontational, and at one point to say to them like, "Hey, you know when you do that, I, actually what I said to this actually like, when you do that, it scares me." And I don't want right. to be scared when I come to the set. <laughs> right. do, do you think that actor was trying to intimidate you on purpose so that you would just kind of... Or, or did he have a lack of respect for you and your no, opinion? No, I, I think he... No, I, I don't. I think he did have respect, but I think he was coming from the place that most actors are coming from, which is fear that they're going to be bad and it's not going to be good. And I don't know what was going on in his life on the outside, but, you know, he was overwhelmed in that moment and that some actors and people will, you know... The way they react to that is by lashing out. So how much do I have to pay you to know the name of this actor <laughs> who uh, you had? Uh, no, because... <laughs> what's it going to cost me? You know, I, I, I won't say it, but he, but it ended up being a really great working... In retrospect, a really great working relationship. <laughs> um, I was happy with the work. And somehow, that's the other thing about show business. Six months later, I, I think when we, the day that we wrapped, I was like, okay, I'm never doing this again, ever with this. And then, you know put the thing together, looked at it, and was really happy with it and the, his performance. And I was like, yeah, I'd I do this again. i go with it. <laughs> it worked he, out. Yeah, and because I think I have that very, uh, my memory is not good in terms of that. Like, the, you know, the pain of something, you just, you let it go. You're In the moment, you're like, this is like the hardest thing ever. And then, you know, a year later, like, well, uh, look what we got out of it. Was it Benicio Del Toro in Escape from Danamora? <laughs> Ah, I hit it. No, I'm not wow. saying anything. You're not saying anything. You're, you're Benicio Del Toro is one of the best actors I've ever worked with. But, you know, I'd say but, like But you three. love, you love uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro. You love Patricia Arquette. Yes. I mean, my God. I mean, how many movies and, and, and various things have you done with her? Only three things. We did Flirting with Disaster. Right. David O. Russell back in like 90, whatever. And... Then we didn't see each other for like 25 years. And then we did Escape at Danamora. And, and we see. sort of stayed in touch. We had the same manager for a while. And um, we stayed in touch. I always loved her. was always a fan. I think she's, you know, an incredible actress, a more incredible person. Uh, and uh, then we had a really good experience working on Danamora together uh, in terms of her commitment level. Not even, you know, and, you know, she's funny, too. And she brings humor and I think the best uh, dramatic actors bring a lot of humor to their dramatic work, you know. Do you sit at home sometimes and you're watching these uh, movies or streaming things and do you say, do you make mental notes and go, I got to work with this person? Has that ever happened? Their audition in a sense, it's you seeing them in something. 
I mean, just people I'm a fan of. You know, I think like the, the way you watch a movie, you go, God, that guy's really good or that actress is amazing. I would love right. to work with them someday. Yeah, like when you do a scene with Will Ferrell, you know it's going to work. I was watching one of those scenes that you did. I mean, Will it, Ferrell so to me funny. is probably the funniest person on the planet, I think. I, I real, and, and I, he could do anything and it, 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 it makes me laugh every time. Do you try to analyze that or you just go, he's just a funny guy? No, he's just, he's just, it's, it's hard to, I mean, how can, how can you analyze that? You know what I mean? He's just so friggin' funny and I, I don't, and you know, and he's also the sweetest guy in the world too, but he has this crazy thing where he'll just go and you know, it's the commitment level too. And he's willing to, you know, he doesn't, has no vanity and will do whatever, but, um, he has an ability to just lock into some weird, weird character things. And I mean, actually, you know, I was just watching Will Forte recently and MacGruber too. And Will Forte has that too, where it just, they do like these weird little funny things that are not even necessarily the joke of what the scene is, but just the way they do it or the way they speak or the way they move. And you know, that, you know, I don't understand where it comes from, but I, you know, love it. Yeah, because, you know, you get into this thing with people where they become sort of part of your troop. When you when you direct someone and it's fun, they, you'll use them again. And then there are those that are just like horrible to work with. And you'll just you know, it's not happening again. Yeah, I mean, yes. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's every project is different. And it's nice to work with people that, you know, I like with Patricia. It was fun working with her on Severance because. I knew that this would be something totally different than Dana Mora. And I also knew that she would, I knew her commitment level. So I knew whatever it was going to be, it was going to, you know, she was going to jump in. But yes, it's, it is good when you know the person, you know that the working situation is going to be fun. I'm loving Severance. I, I, you know, I was saying on the air yesterday, I, I started watching it because you were coming on. You know, nowadays there's so many things to watch, you know. So you were coming in, I said, I got to watch this. And at first I go, how am I going to stay with this thing? Because you're showing the tedium of office work. <laughs> and how do you, sh- I was going to ask you, how do you show tedium? How do you show boredom without being boring? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a challenge to tell a story about boring offices and boring people who have no attachment to their work because essentially we, the audience, have to be bored. So I start watching the first 10 minutes ago. I don't know if I'm going to stay with this thing. And then the story kicks in. And I said, Jesus, that is an interesting premise. Like, I'm sitting here thinking about my parents who were sick. But if I could come to work and block them the fuck out while I'm talking to Ben Stiller, it would be wonderful. Like, they're in the back of my mind now crowding my thoughts while I'm really anxious to talk to you. I can't separate. But that's what the whole premise is. You go to work and you you get rid of your you get operated on and they change your brain. So now I'm two episodes in and I'm loving it. It's oh. it's fucking great, Thanks, man. Thank I, you. Yeah. yeah, no, I love it. I, yeah. But why are you not in it? Number one, why Adam <laughs> Scott? Why'd you choose him? Adam Scott is the perfect actor to play this role. I think he is you know defined what the sort of office culture attitude is in movies and television. Uh, in both co- comedically and seriously, but he's just like such an interesting dude because he's so normal, but not normal. You know, he's got so yeah. much going on and he has an incredible, the same way Will Ferrell or, you know, has a great comedic time. Like he, he has amazing comedic timing. And I also knew that he would see in this role 
kind of uh, all the things that he's done in his career, that, that there were aspects of it because he is playing a guy who goes to work every day but has no idea who he is, where he is, or what he's doing. And right. then on the outside, he's dealing with this other really heavy stuff. Um, so, you know, to have him give that sort of like have that underneath layer to it, I knew that he would really uh, just bring that to life in a really interesting way. I love working with him. Ben, tell me, is uh, the the Apple Corporation, it's done Apple Plus, the right. new uh, movie that you directed, uh, Severance, aren't they making a blunder by releasing this thing on a weekly basis? I like to binge these shows. I'm into Severance now. I'm ready to watch the whole thing. My problem with these streaming services, they insist, some of them, insist on doing it on a weekly basis, and I think they're making a mistake with Severance. And as the director, now it's time for you to criticize Apple and speak out against us. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. First of all, I understand what you're saying. I think we all now have come to sort of, you know, expect that we can watch everything all at once. And I get that. Right. Um, they made the choice. I think they made the choice for their the reasons. I, I think part of it was that they were just starting up a new streaming platform and i don't know the ins and outs of this at all because they you know they don't share all the details of all the data that they have and because they get a lot of data on shows you know they know what we're watching when we're watching it when we tuned in when we tuned out why we liked it why we didn't like it what we're wearing when we're watching it um, whether we said anything or not they yeah. know all this no they oh do they do no they do but so i they i think they did i think honestly they just needed to like they didn't have enough shows probably to like to just like drop all the episodes that like they had to start up this from scratch okay. i i have a sort of i go back and forth on it um you know with dan Amora, we did on showtime we had one a week too that i and, understood because the showtime they got a but now they're all streaming now showtime they're all streaming now it's all the yes. same thing. How weird is it to look on the platform and just to see, you know, like, um, whatever, like Ace Ventura and then, you know, Severance and then uh, a documentary about the Holocaust, like all in the same, like there's a tab, tab, tab. <laughs> yeah. And you just like, what do I feel like watching right now? Uh, I find that kind of disconcerting that everything has been reduced just to a choice, but there's no movies, TV specials, whatever. But um you know, it's the way they're doing it. I think, you know, as a as a person who's making stuff, you know, it is a little bit like, oh, gosh, you know, I hope people want to tune in next week. But that is kind of the way it used to be back when is. we were growing up, you know. But but we're so used to a new way of doing things. But yes, that these these shows that stream, you get sucked in. I know. And you but go, yeah, let but me the go flip on. side isn't the flip side of it that you binge something. And I've done it, and I and then it's in you, and then it like you can't retain it all, and then you move on to the next thing, and it all absolutely. becomes it all becomes one thing. You're right; it's absolutely it was one true. event. That, I, you I know? watch some of these things, and I, and I and a week later, I go, "What was it? The girl with the chest? What the hell was that again?" Or I mean, I just that, you don't remember where what show it was in, right? You what know? show? Like, like, what episode? Guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it happened, so it just became a thing that was in your brain. Um, so that, so in terms of that, I feel like this show will, you know, over the next seven weeks play out and then people will be able to binge it all. And, you know, and, I'm hooked in. Thanks, now, man. Ben. Yeah. I'm worried. Is there, because this is like sort of a mystery, we don't mm -hmm. know what goes on with these people at work. We don't know what they do for work. Am I going to be satisfied at the end? Am I going to know the answers or are they going to pull a lost on me? 
and keep me <laughs> sort of like, yes. I, I, you know, I saw the end and I don't know what the fuck is happening here. I want right. a, I want a clear ending. Are yeah. you delivering that in the new show, Severance? I, I can guarantee you that there will be uh, an ending that will both satisfy you and leave you wanting more. Oh, uh-huh. that is so. Have we yeah. been have we been okayed for a second season already? Not seven? yet. We're hoping. Not yet. We're hoping. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, it's been such a. I mean, it's been a long one on this one too because we started before the pandemic, and then we were about to start shooting. So it's been, and then we got shut down, and then so it's gone on a long time. And I think, uh, I think there. You know, I'm hoping there's going to be a second season. Uh, I think Apple wants to do one. I think that we're just, you know, right now it's just. People are seeing it for the first time. But yeah, the, the challenge was, because it's not a limited, is to have an, enough answers so that people don't feel like it's too, con- like, you know, what's, what does that mean? What does that mean? And be able to sort of, you know, uh, give people some completed thoughts and, and, you know, answers, but then also have enough that you're still wondering what's going on, too. And I, th- the thing I felt that my responsibility was not to have anything happening for like as a red herring or for no reason. Like, everything is there for a reason and will eventually be answered on some level. So mm. you didn't write this. Nope. You, you, um, uh, you, you were was hired a, to be... This was a script yeah. written by a writer named Dan Erickson who, who submitted it to our production company five-plus years ago and as a writing sample. And I read it and... Uh, and the Jackie Cohn works at our company and uh, a producing partner read it. And this, we thought, oh, this is great. It's a great writing sample. And I was like, this is, let's, can we make this? And, and that was, that's how we started with it. Ben, at your company, how many scripts, like even you just telling this story now, it was a writing sample somebody sent in. Yeah. How many of these scripts do you get on a daily basis? Where I'm, and most, I would say probably, I'm asking, is it like 90, 99% of them are junk? When you get a gem, it's rare, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't read all those, you know, right? I, and that's, you know, you, they, they get submitted, they'll come through, you know, through agency or they'll come into our company and somebody will read them and, and uh, maybe an internal read or maybe the creative executive. And then if there's something that seems really good or interesting, then they'll send it over to me. Do you ever worry? See, I'm a, I'm a control freak. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you are too. Do you ever sit there and go, oh, God, I've got some intern reading this material for me. What if they pass on the next greatest script of all time? Do you ever do like a quality check? I mean, how do you know you're not missing out? Uh, you can't. You can't really. Right. Honestly. I mean, it, that comes down to the people that you work with and trusting the sensibility of the people you work with. And that's a really important thing, I think, mm-hmm. um, because, yeah. And also what's weird is sometimes they will do coverage. You know what coverage is? Where they yeah. somebody reads it and then they, they write up their thoughts on it. And I really don't like that when somebody like hands you the coverage on a script because then they're telling me already, like, I think this is funny or I don't really think this is good. And then what if I read and I like it? Right. And I feel like, <laughs> wait, then I'm questioning my own, <laughs> you know, I, I, like what's my, I'm questioning my own taste. So right. I, I try not to read coverage, but if somebody recommends something, but you know, you can't, you can't, there's just so much out there. And of course you're going to miss stuff. And So it's very rare when you get a writing sample like you did with Severance and you go, oh my God, this guy's onto something. This is an intriguing idea. Y- yes. I wanna, yeah. 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 And because I have, by the way, I have passed on things that, then I regretted for sure, you know, like what, what did you pass on? And you said, Oh shit. And then you see it and you go, Oh my God, you know, 
fucked up. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, <gasps> directing Goodwill. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Oh my god. So when that when something like that happens, which is Goodwill Hunting, one of the best movies ever made, right? <laughs> I haven't watched it for a while. Um, <laughs> but Ben, in other words. The boys handed you the script. They were young guys. I don't, I don't you know. know if they even knew that I got it. Um, but right. I got I got sent it by my agent at the time. And the first turnoff was that these two guys were attached to it, to act in it, who wrote it. I was right. like, what? Come on. Ooh. Well, you're right. Like, who are I, they? I cast my own projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Ben Stiller. Who are these guys? Stop. Or right, I right, attach myself to things I've written and then I'm not. I don't want anybody else to attach them. Um, <laughs> So that was that was one that I uh, was like, uh, all right, missed the boat. And that there. night when the Academy Awards were on and those two guys are up there <laughs> the cheering and, guys, and screaming, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, well, how the hell? You, you question your whole existence, but you can never really know, right? I mean, no, you never know. And you just have to. And sometimes it's just like where you're at in your life at that moment. And you go, OK, that was good. But I just I really couldn't do it at that time. You know, it just wasn't right for me at that moment. Speaking of the Academy Awards, you know, wouldn't you be a terrific host because you always come. I always like when you show up, I literally, even the, you saying that makes me like my stomach start to tighten up. I don't, I don't, don't like it because I, you go on, you always are prepared. Even when you do a, a, a presenting kind of thing, you always have something funny planned, which is what, what I appreciate about Jim Carrey. I appreciate about you. Like, you don't treat it like, I'm going to go up and read the fucking teleprompter. I've right. got a routine, whether it tanks or if it's great. I don't care. I, I want to do something entertaining. I want to try and elevate the program. And it would seem to me a natural progression for you because you, you're comfortable in that format. You can make little short bits. You can host. Did they ever ask you to host the Academy Awards? Did it, am I the only one who thought of this? No, they haven't asked ever really i mean i think there were times when i was like oh like my name might have been in the mix and i heard but you know years ago um but i yeah i look i always got so nervous doing those things i mean i did the emmys a couple of years ago did a bit and it's nerve-wracking because everybody you know it's like first of all i don't think it's a very tough gig to uh to do well at in terms of how people perceive it because you could be really really funny and I thought I've, there are times I thought people have been amazingly funny. And then like you read the reviews and I was like, oh, no, that was awful. Oh, yeah. but well, they no, see. but there seems to be no consensus ever. Um, but, you know, it would be it would be great if somebody had ever asked. But I and, you know, and I would consider it. But I get so nervous at those things that I just I, I don't think it's the live performing thing. I don't I don't love that. You know, I think now I don't think anybody I think that the business has changed so much that. Who even knows what movies are, you know, in the theater anymore, except for like Spider-Man or something. Right. But, you know, I, I haven't seen any of these movies. And I don't even know what it's going to be. And now I would think it's a dangerous thing to host the Academy Awards because the public isn't interested as much. Um, yeah. And you do get judged on the ratings for it. And the ratings, I don't think, have anything to do with the host, really. You know, they have right. to do with people being interested or not interested in the show and you know, the, most people haven't seen a lot of these movies, too. So it's a it's a weird time right now for movies. As a guy who has a body of work like yours, where, I mean, you've done really fucking incredible projects and movies and stuff. You ever did, did, was that something that eluded you? Like, did you want that kind of, um, you know, credit or those accolades? 
from like an Academy Awards, or do you just sit there and go, they don't fucking honor comedies? And, oh, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure. I would, yeah, I would love it. It'd be great. Yeah. I mean, but it it's also so one of those things that's very out of your control, too. I mean, but comedies, for sure. Like, comedies have just always had a hard time getting recognized. I mean, I was happy when uh, Downey got nominated for Tropic Thunder. Right. Um, that was amazing. Yeah. What an amazing film, too. Yeah. Which we've discussed. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, but, but that was like, you know, I think... You know, it's just it, it just doesn't really happen that often. But it's also it's not something that you in any way can chase. You know, it's just like it's, there's, it makes no sense to try to go after. It. I mean, that was kind of part of the joke of that movie. But you just can't do it. You know, so it, and, and so yeah, it'd be great. But I, you know, I can't. Man, you know, can't control it. I recently saw a picture of you at a Knicks game. You mm -hmm. were sitting with I think Pete Davidson. Of Saturday Night Live and also a very famous Coxman. I mean, uh, let's, mm -hmm. it's, it's unbelievable what, what's going on in SNL. Everyone is marrying and dating uh, <laughs> movie stars. But, but, uh, and who was the other person there John sitting Stewart. next? John Stewart. Yeah. The, the great John Stewart. The three of you. Uh, I don't know if you all just ended up sitting next to each other or you planned to go together. Uh, but, what is going on with the Knicks? You are a basketball aficionado. <laughs> you have stuck with that team. You're you're a super fan, are you not? I I'm a fan, man. I'm a, a long time fan, a long time. Fan. And I think the last ten or eleven years since I moved back to New York from L.A., I really got into it much more than I ever have in my life. Bad What's timing. the problem? We're in New York. Uh, you know, I remember the the legacy Willis Reed. You had Earl the Pearl. Yeah. You had these great players, Walt Frazier. Yeah, uh, and the, then the '90s, and then the you know the the teams in the '90s that got to the playoffs, and um, you know, it's a really hard time. The NBA, I think, is a really you know crazy place right now in terms of how you know how it works, and uh, you know teams seem to get valued not based on winning, just like in terms of the markets, you know. Right. Um, the Knicks are continually uh, breaking the hearts of their fans, and it's I I I don't I don't know who to blame, but it just seems like they never can really figure it out. I really have enjoyed uh, last season was amazing. Right. I feel right. for the players, honestly. And I think of my dad when we're talking about this, because my dad could never say that thing about anybody. And like my dad would be like, he loved the Knicks too. He, but he would feel for the players, especially if, uh, if a player is, is coming under the microscope or, you know, um, he didn't like it when fans booed a player, you know, he re right, really right. upset him. And I get it's really hard in New York because the fans, you know, but all the fans want is just, a little bit of winning, you know, just a little bit of momentum. And last year was so incredible. And then this year's been a big letdown. But whose fault is it? Is it, you know, people are quick to blame management. Uh, you know, New York is the Big Apple. They have tremendous uh, money. They have tremendous, uh, you know, once you, if you make it in New York, I would think players would be attracted to New York as a city. But yeah. yet, uh, or, so whose fault is it that the Knicks are struggling so much? Um, I'm not going to... You know, I'm point not going to say, please. I'm not going to point fingers because please it's, point fingers. You know, people look at there's the players, there's the coach, and then there's the ownership or the president and, and there's the ownership. And right. some and I feel like the players have uh, <laughs> it's hard because the players don't have that the control over, you know, who's playing. They're just, they're you know, they're all doing their thing. I think Tibbs had a good run last year and 
this year we've been waiting for it to click in uh you know the uh the lineups and the rotations you know are interesting i i don't know enough about basketball to really say like okay tibbs should be doing something differently because he's tibbs I feel you do. You do know enough about (laughs) basketball. You're a real fan. And I feel you're holding back. Even the Brooklyn Nets themselves put together a competitive team, which was uh, uh, shocking. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Nets I can't connect with. I'm sorry. I love Steve Nash. I think he's super cool. He seems like a great guy. But, um, you know, the Nets, I'm still thinking of the Brendan Byrne Arena. I'm back. (laughs) No, I get it. Um, I understand that. Do you judge your fellow celebrities by where they're sitting at the garden? I do. I am always uh, comped uh, front row right there at the garden. And then, um, you know, like I'll run into J.B. Smoove and he's two rows back. And I right. said, J.B., I, I turned to him. I said, I thought you were way more famous than this. It is I mean, a hierarchy. It does row. seem like it. It seems like a hierarchy. It's hard to get the front row seats. First of all, I've found that if if I put in a request for more than two seats... Then right. I'm immediately having to consider <laughs> second row Moving status. Back. Yeah, <laughs> and do you say to yourself, "I can't be seen on TV in the second row"? I, 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 I kind of uh, do. I kind of now <laughs> feel <laughs> like uh, people are going to say exactly what you're saying. It's like, why has he been relegated to the second row? And you know, look, it's a little bit of like you know, you don't want to criticize ownership or management because we like we like our yes. seats. Yes, and let's, let's yes. just face it. Okay. So, in other words, you would be way more harsh about management yeah, if you weren't being... Oh, Michael Rappaport. Oh, Michael Rappaport <laughs> mode. Do you, uh, was this a planned outing with you and, uh, uh, and Pete, Pete Davidson So John? Pete, uh, Pete texted me and said, hey, we're, I'm going to... Because he and John go to the games a lot and sit oh, together. okay. They're and friends. Then, yeah. And then okay. I was texting with Pete about something, and he said, hey, I'm going to the game... Do you want to come with me and John? I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. fun. Yeah. And what what is your stance on COVID? Now, when I saw you guys, you're all sitting there without masks. Uh, I, I, I worried about you. I said, listen, you know, Ben's no spring chicken. Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm older than you. You want to you hear what happened? Yes. Tell me. I went to the game without a mask. I feel I'm going to. OK, I feel like I got I honestly got peer pressured into not wearing a mask. Right in my in my head, nobody did anything. But I walked into the Knicks, you know, like the lounge place you go before the game, and right. nobody had a mask on. Nobody. Right. What is that? Nobody. And I'm like, okay, am I going to be the only guy wearing a mask? And I don't know Pete and John. I know John over the years, many years, and and you know, but we don't hang out a lot. So you know, I don't know him <laughs> that well. That if like I'm just, I was wearing a mask with him. Nobody else is wearing a mask. I felt like I'm going to be the weird guy, and I couldn't say to him like, "Hey, do you mind if I wear my mask?" I should have just done that, right? But I didn't. But what is it? And then nobody in Madison Square Garden is wearing a mask. I know. And if I went with you guys, except Tim, be... and he's wearing it around his chin. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what is that. Uh, I could see you making a short film about this very subject: celebrities but, and whether or not to wear a right, mask. But guess what I mean, happened? Seems... What happened? I got COVID. After that oh, game. Of course you did. Like two days ben, after that game. Of course you did. Yeah. Why I mean, is everyone acting like that's okay? How bad was it for it you? It was not bad. I was lucky. I got a little bit of a cough. Um, I quarantined for like 13 days. Right. Um, but, you know, literally like my, my son was like, like you're trash. Why did you wear a mask at the Nick game? It's true. The yeah. mask works. Um, and, you know, look. 
you got lucky. You know, you I got lucky, own. but it was it was you know it was really like wow, you know, all right, uh, that's what happens, you know. Um, yeah. And luckily, I was you know vaccinated and boosted and stuff. But uh, were you pissed at yourself in the same way you were pissed at yourself after Goodwill Hunting and turning that down? <laughs> I mean, did you, which was worse? <laughs> I, I did feel I did feel like I could draw a straight line. Like oh, I, you know, like I don't know for sure I got it at the Nick game. But because right. it was like literally like a day and a half after. Right. Uh, you got it there. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Which now, one did... of them was it? Was it John or was it Dave? No, they both I mean, were okay. fine. I, you know, and I got in touch with them and they both tested and were fine. They didn't get sick and you did. Yeah. Can you imagine? This is wow. what I'm talking about. I mean, that there's random, no God. Yeah. Um, no, no spring God. chicken. Yes. What do you make of this? Since you worked on Saturday Night Live yeah. briefly and, and certainly you've, you've, you've directed and you've done it all in show business now. What do you make of Pete Davidson and, and this incredible, we hear he has a large penis. We hear he's dating up a star. These women can't stay away from him. I'm happy is, for him on the penis front. I, I Me too. Him. Jealous yeah. for me. <laughs> me too. Um, and speaking of penis, how is yours and all of your, we remember when you talked, very, very kind of you to come in and talk about prostate cancer. Yeah. And I think you helped a lot of people. Uh, how are you doing with all that? How's your health? You know, knock on wood, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's, it's been seven years. Um, I think I came wow. on probably a couple of years after I had yeah. had it here. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just very, very fortunate. And I haven't had to look back and, uh, you know, because I got the PSA test. Do you think I should be texting with you with John Stewart and Pete Davidson? Should I be in that chain or would you I, should, I be out of place? I, I, mean, I definitely was like, because yeah, Pete is having a moment in time right now. Um, yes. He's an incredibly sweet guy. Have you talked to him ever? Have you met him? Oh yeah, we've had him on the show yeah. a couple of times. I, see, I, yeah. I, 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 I like him very much. I think he's, re you know, for a guy, you know, I think he, he's so personable. Um, you know, he's got such a charisma. He's funny. He's really funny. Um, but he has become really, really famous. I think, you know, for kind of dating. Yes, and and yes. and being on the show, but he and I think he re I get the sense that he's a guy who like really loves to work, cares about his work, and that's where, you know, I think that's how he's going to be known. He's got you know a lot of great work ahead of him too, but he's really funny on the show too. Like yes. to be able to go on Weekend Update and do what he does. He's doing him, right? You, it's not right. that easy to just be that funny and interesting and likable going, you know, to do that. You know, come on, do a character, do a thing. But he's really like taking his life and he's turning it into, you know, to, to material. But do you think that he can do that because his life now has become so public and so outrageous with the with all the different women and stuff that that kind of led to him being able to be himself? I think he was doing I think that's why he became popular. I, I think see. that's why people were attracted to watching him on the show. And, you know, he just has a real charm about him. And he also, I, th I think he really wants to act and, and do, you know, and he's making movies and, you know, taking roles on that are real acting roles. Do any of these young guys, particularly like a Pete Davidson, turn to you and say, hey, Ben, you're someone I look up to. Am I making a mistake here with all these women? Could I, could I ruin my career? Could I? Do, does anyone ask advice anymore or does everyone just feel like they know everything? No one is asking me for female advice that i know. no one really <laughs> not for women advice no um you know uh i i've talked you know who i, I really like is uh have you watched that show dave on fx uh dave, it's a I've funny show it. he's a rapper lil dicky 
No, I haven't seen it. Anyway, it's a really funny show. Dave Bird, and I've been talking to him recently, uh, you know, about working together and just, you know, he'll ask some advice or whatever. And, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, as a person, I try to give whatever advice I can, having been around a long time, but I don't really know that much, you know, just like just mistakes that I've made. Well, you know, it's... uh I don't know. There's a million things we could talk about. Oh, wait, but, wait uh, I, were you talking? I heard on the radio yesterday. It might have been a repeat. You were talking about Bridget Everett. Yes, I was. Yeah, I like that show very much. Have you watched it? I have not watched the show, but I I met Bridget Everett like I don't know, maybe like eight or nine years ago, and right. I heard you were talking to her, and that was a that story about her not saying that she was uh, <laughs> an actress. And but I really like her. I'm a fan of hers. And she's a kind of a, I think a very fearless performer too. Have you ever seen her live too? Um, I didn't want to like her because right. of my interaction with her. Not that it was so horrible, but it, no, it just it's felt weird. I, I totally get yeah. that. But I don't, I hope that, and I don't think that it was any, anything other than her maybe being shy about saying she was in show business. Maybe do you think it could have been that? Like, or maybe she was insulted that I didn't know she was in show business, I but d- I really I didn't don't, know. I, I don't know. I don't think it was that. But, but I don't her, know her, her that new, well, but I think she's a nice person. Her new show is really good. I think it's it's the type of show you would like. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I can't predict, but uh, I think you would like it. Hey, by the way, yeah. real quick, I don't want to, I know you probably have fallen asleep at this point. I mean, you're, you're out on the promotional <laughs> tour, right? Hopefully I the mean, audience you, isn't half falling asleep. Right. You want people watching. Of course, and yeah. I should remind everyone, the reason Ben's here... Uh, new episodes of Severance every Friday on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. It's really great story, yeah. and um, episode three I, kicks in. A little more story starts to kick in. Starts to. Why did you direct the first three and the and the uh, last three? Mm-hmm. Why not do them all? Man, I it's, it's a good question. Uh, first of all, we had a great director who did the middle three, uh, an Irish director named Aoife McArdle, a very talented person. But I, at first, was just going to do the pilot. And I really oh. loved the show, and we started to work on developing it. And it was over the course of a few years. And then I was like, all right, maybe I'll do the first three. And then I it kept on working. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do, uh, maybe I'll do six. And and then at one point I thought maybe I'll do them all. And then I thought it would be too much work to do all of them. So I, I somehow settled on six of nine. Are you good at staying in touch with people that you do like like Robert De Niro? When you, you know, yeah. when you do uh, the Fockers, like, do you guys stay in touch or are you like just awful at that? I mean, even like you and right. I have gone to dinner together with our wives yep. and, um, and, uh, you know, but then we don't really, we stay in touch a little bit, yeah. but not really, uh, I'm terrible at it. Right. It, it, yeah. It's, it's a bad I'm not thing. Good. What is it about? I'm not good. I'm not that. I, I mean, I think I want to be, we're not a very social couple, um, but I really, you know, want to try. I'm always trying to do it more. I stay like De Niro, like every once in a while, we'll email with each other. Right. Um, but I get shy or somehow intimidated about reaching out to people. Like I wanted to like reach out to you to hang out, but then I'm like, I don't want to bother him because he's me and too. I, I know. And I think yeah, like, and I had a great night with you. Yeah, I, I even said to Beth after I go, you know, Ben's like fun to be with. Like you can have a conversation with him. It's not everybody's on every 10 seconds. It's just right. like, you know real stuff and 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 christine is great um by the way richie got a big part in something that you're producing or yeah it's actually a new, it's a new show with patricia arquette that oh, wow. high desert yeah that jay roach is directing and uh patricia's and she plays patricia's sister 
So, you know, but I never reach out because I feel like, eh, you know, who wants to hear from me? So I have your disaster. book on my coffee table in my apartment. And I really? try to look at you every day and I'm always thinking like, ah, oh, I should like, maybe I'll like reach out to Howard and, but then I figure like, what if you what? don't email me back or. <laughs> I would always, email, I would always, I would email you back, but you know what? I can't stand so, with all this email. You're so nice. Like I'll get an email from you. Like, just, like, out of the blue. I remember, like, I did something, like, literally, like, 10 years ago. I did, gave some award at something, or I was accepting something, and I made, a, like, a, a joke about something. And you, like, sent me an email saying, oh, that was really funny. It was so nice. Like, it made me feel so good. And no one ever does that. And, no. And the, it, Rodney Dangerfield did that for me. I did a Tonight Show appearance. And um, he called me and said, I, I know what you were doing. And, man, that was really out there it was great i loved it and i went oh my god ronnie dangerfield looked like something i did and when he did that i was like i was blown out you know yeah. i was blown out and i said well maybe i should do that once in a while and, it it makes know? a difference to people i don't care who you are you know like it just really it really does because you know it, it, sometimes you just you're also out there in space i'm sure like you're doing the show every day and well, i guess you have feedback from people but i'm sure, sure a little bit of it is like okay i'm putting it out here and you know I'm not I have quite no sure. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do keep being bad at it now that you know it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> we're, 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 it's a little too late for us to change. I think, I think, like Ben, I am an insecure person. I think people don't want to hear from me, but, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have that sense that I'm worthy of anybody really paying attention to me. But do you, it's, do you guys go out and, you know, go out to dinner a lot and do, do dinner parties? We, we haven't been going out. I don't know how I'm going to integrate back into society. I mean, yeah. with this COVID thing, I'm petrified. And uh, because, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's Russian roulette. You had a good experience with it. You, it was nothing. But it's scary. People, it's so it scary. Is. I know people with long-term effects, heart situations. The brain is affected. People are talking about brain fog. I have another person I just was talking to who has never gotten their sense of taste back ever since they had COVID. Like, I don't want to lose that. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's so, scary. We, so we haven't been doing anything. But, yeah, we used to have people like I would have had you over for dinner. But, yeah, you know, I don't know. Everything got weird. I know. I gotta, and it's, it's also like when is I, I keep on waiting for it to be like, OK, now we see the end. But now they're saying basically like the end is going to be accepting the reality. You know, I don't know. Like my wife said to me, we could make some decisions if we could get some straight answers. Nobody really knows what's going on. Right. For example. You're the first person to talk about this. You went to the Nick game. Like, my wife and I say this all the time. We were just talking about it. We, how come no one's doing any metrics or kind of any any kind of follow-up? How many people who went to that Knicks game came down with COVID like you? I'll bet you half the stadium came down with it if you came down with it. Yeah. So we don't know. Like, were you the only one? Were you? It, it seems like all guidance now is like, well... Do whatever you want to do. It's so inconsistent. It's just, you know, it just is. And every time there's new information, I mean, and it's just, I don't know what there is to do about it. You know, I don't think there's any, yeah. you know, people want to tend, they tend to blame the messengers, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, these, everybody's trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. And, it's and so also, hard. I never in my whole life would have imagined anything like this ever happening. Like, I didn't even think it was a possibility, right? Yeah. I mean, just that this was even a thing that would happen 
that <laughs> I remember at the, at the beginning of it, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mary McCormick, who was in my movie, she, mm-hmm. she wrote me and said, are you worried about this pandemic? This was three years ago. And I was like, no, I'm more worried about what Trump's doing and blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm blowing it off. Like I was, I, It would yeah. never even be in my reality that we would be in this situation. And then I have a friend who's like 75-ish. And he goes, I never thought this would be my old age. Like, I retired and I thought I'd be traveling. And now yeah. this. And, you know, he's afraid, too. Yeah. And it's tough for Weird. teenagers. You know, I have a couple of teenagers and just what they've had to deal with it's just it's just a crazy thing everybody's having to make their way through how old are your kids now my son is 16 and a half and my daughter's going to be 20 in uh, april mm. so if you have a 16 and a half year old son how did you even avoid covid anyway because he's he's got to he's got to have a social life these kids are like man i can't spend my my the rest of my life in the apartment with you dad you know? well, yeah, well, he didn't, I mean, for the first year, you know, because he was all remote. So he really right. has been, like, when I think about the stuff that I was doing at 16, just, yeah. you know, the experiences I was having, both good and bad, you know, it's I feel for him because he's not, he's really not able to do that um, right now. Two more things I got to talk okay. to you about. Uh, number one, I read that you're going to direct uh, Bagman. A movie yeah. about Spiro Agnew. I am consumed with Spiro Agnew. I will oh, watch really? this. Yeah. Yes. Because the the reason I'm consumed with him, you know, he was such a scumbag, but he was this right-wing, moral majority, Mr. Religion. And, you know, again, he was exposed for being, when he was governor, for bribery, extortion during the Watergate thing. Right. And, um, and I think... This is why I'm fascinated. I think if he was the vice president today and all this came out, he'd say, fuck you, I'm going to stay in office. We are in, living in a reality that is so, so bizarre. Such Spiro, a different world. You're right. Spiro Agnew was a dirty crook and the country hated him and they wanted him out of there. Yeah. They, they, they applaud him. You'd be watching Even TV Nixon wanted him out of there. He, he was yeah. a bigger crook. Yeah, and Nixon would never have resigned and neither would Spiro Agnew. It's well, going to be, yeah. that, that's it, a good project. Yeah, yeah. It used to be if you were exposed doing something wrong, then that was it. But that's what's yeah. changed. <laughs> right. Yeah, but meanwhile, Al Franken left, who I'm yeah. not sure what the hell he did. So some people are playing by the I rules. I agree. I agree. It's, 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 it's different rules for different parties seem to have different rules. Different right. politicians have different rules. And uh, I think it's, I, you know, it's really, it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting that uh, this story that we're telling is, is almost quaint in a way because he, he was caught um, taking bribes and kickbacks. And when he was finally caught, he, you know, he had to resign. I don't think, you know, Trump would have done that at all. No, no. Um, And uh, so and so really the story about the assistant U.S. attorneys, these young guys in Baltimore who happened upon the case and then realized, oh, my God, oh, my God, um, this guy, the vice president is uh, taking kickbacks still in the White House, still. And these were government, you know, governor kickbacks. You know, he was. Yeah, they were earlier kickbacks from when he was just like a county executive. And then. And then as governor, and then he went to the White House as vice president and was still taking kickbacks. And then Watergate was happening totally separately, had nothing to do with Agnew's thing. And they realized Nixon's about to either resign or be impeached. And this guy, this crook, is now going to become president. And then when he's president, you know, we're going to have another crook as president. the whole country. Yeah. (laughs) And you got into this with Rachel Maddow from her podcast. 
and you're producing it with Lorne Michaels. Yep. And uh, what, what, what is Which going is on nice. with Rachel? Why why is Rachel busy doing this and she's not on her show? I, don't <laughs> I know. See her on her show. Have, have you talked to her about that? I like I have her talked on her to show. Her. Yeah. No, but she's why, amazing. I'm a huge Rachel Maddow fan. So the, me too. So what's yeah. she doing? She's she's blowing up her uh, her nighttime show. Here, here's what I think is going on. Yeah. First of all, what do we need that? For? Yeah. She. I, I listened to the podcast. I didn't know Rachel. Got obsessed with the podcast and reached out to her and Mike Yarvitz, who produced and wrote it with her, and said, "Can we make a movie of this?" And that's what how the process has gone. Um, wow. I think Rachel has gotten to a point. She's been doing that show for I don't know ten plus years. Yeah. You know, can you imagine what is she? I mean, I don't even understand how she does what she does, where she gets in front of a camera. It's kind of like what you do. You can talk and talk, and it's interesting and engaging, and it looks very, to the, to the watcher or listener, it looks really super easy, but it is not easy at all. And she no. will talk, right? It's not easy at all. It is not easy because, first of all, she looks unscripted, which is very hard because that show is scripted, and she... Um She's, she's, she, a, there she'd must be a good actress. She writes her she writes her monologues and then and then she reads them or says but I if she is reading I don't I haven't confirmed it but I, I if she is reading a teleprompter it's the best teleprompter reading of any person I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. I, I I mean I, I agreed. And, and it's uh, all coming the, from her. She's writing you know she's she's saying her own words but it's so articulate and then there are the shows when she's obviously not had anything prepared because something just happened. And she'll go with that. So I think she, just from what I, you know, the little I know her, I think she's gotten to a place where she wants to work on other projects. I think she's coming back. She, you know, but the amount of work it takes every day to do that hour on TV is all consuming. So I think she needs she's, a little bit of a break to be able to she does. reset. Bet between you and me, she's so terrific at what she does. Enough with all the side projects. Let her do this with you, okay? <laughs> and stick with it. She's an important voice. She makes a lot of sense. It's enough. I, yeah. Listen, I've been doing the same dopey thing for forty years. Right. I know. I this right. is it. This is what I do, and that's it. And I and I've accepted it. It's it, 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 there's nothing wrong with doing this. Yeah, I get Ben's to, making a big deal. She's done this for ten years. <laughs> ten right. years. I'm like four, a vampire. Is it forty years. <laughs> Uh, I, I think so. Coming up on that, but uh, it's, well, it's ridiculous. Well, it's forty years just Incredible. for us. You've been Incredible. doing right. it longer. <laughs> That's right. The, yeah, I've been doing it in my bedroom for, for more than that. <laughs> when, when, when uh, I, I, the one last thing we got to talk about okay. when Judd Apatow was here, he told me that great story about you guys pitching Mick Jagger the movie <laughs> about the Rolling Stones that the two of you went and visited and said to Mick Jagger, "Hey, we want to do." a movie with you where we're like two guys who follow you around. I think it was going to be you and uh, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. Brad Pitt. We're going to, and he told that story. And, um, uh, I thought it was the greatest that you actually got a meeting with Mick Jagger, pitched him an idea. He loved it. And then Keith Richards killed the whole fucking deal. <laughs> he didn't like it. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. That would have been I mean, awesome. It would have been really fun. I mean, it was, it was surreal. Definitely surreal. Um, <laughs> because, you know, we were both like 20 whatever at the time, 25 or something. And maybe Jeb was 25, I was 26 or 7 or something. Or maybe even younger. And yeah. all of a sudden, he was pitching us. First of all, Mick was calling oh, that's us. Right. Because right. his producing partner, Victoria Pearman, had uh, reached out to us. I think she'd seen maybe the Ben Stiller show or something. Uh, and she was saying, hey, Mick has this idea. And then, so like, just to have Mick pitch us on the call <laughs> about what he wanted to do. And, and then... 
Then the, the the sort of the catch was that we had to pitch the Rolling Stones. So like <laughs> Mick got us on board. Then Mick's like, but you got to get everybody else on board. Uh, and then we went to Toronto, and uh, they were rehearsing in, I think it was a girls' school or something in a gymnasium. Wow. And, yeah, and we got to sit and watch them uh, rehearse for like an hour well, before. How, how fucking nervous were you, like, talking to Keith Richards about and trying to convince uh, Charlie Watts that, you know, hey, we're going to... I just rem- I don't I don't remember a lot of it, honestly, because it yeah. was uh, so overwhelming, except that we were in a small, like, wood-paneled room like an antechamber sort of like room off of the, you know, gym. <laughs> and they were all sitting there kind of huddled around and, uh, you know, and just, I remember just kind of looking back, trying, trying to pitch. And I didn't, I'm not good at pitching stuff. I'm really right. not. And, <laughs> it's hard, uh, yeah. you know, and I was trying to tell them how funny it would be. And, you know, even just the idea of like comedy and rock and roll, like a, like, I don't think, you know, would anybody really want to see the funny fans, like the super fan guys who, who are like crawling up on the lighting, pan, you know, the, the rigging to like try to get close to the, the band and then like falling behind the band? Like, it, the idea probably wouldn't have worked, you know, right. in, ac- in execution because people would have just wanted to see a Rolling Stones concert film. Exactly. <laughs> who wants to see two guys, whether it's you and Brad Pitt or anybody? I want to see the Stones if I'm watching a Stones exactly. movie. Exactly. Right. You're going to see but, a comedy, but, you see a comedy, you can see a concert movie, you see a concert movie. But maybe it was Mick's idea of like doing what, you know, the, reacting to the Beatles and in the, in, in his sense of history with help and Hard Day's Night. Like maybe he was looking yeah, at it and, and saying, he's a real, we could do something. Yeah. yeah. He's a real film guy. I mean, like he really, you know, he's an actor. And so like, you know, who knows? It, maybe it would have worked. But the way I was pitching it, it wasn't going to work probably. And maybe it was probably my pitch. Um, <laughs> I just, wouldn't the movie be great if the movie was just you pitching Keith Richards about a movie? <laughs> <laughs> as a 26 year old kid you're sitting there going this is what it is yeah and you don't even know what it is you're right. just trying exactly. to please well, that's Mick the thing. Jagger. it didn't exist so uh, <laughs> it was tap dancing it's been an amazing life right i mean when you think about all of the things i mean oh man starting from birth being around your parents and all the people that they knew and then all of a sudden you come into your own and then all these experiences like mick jagger and, and, and you name it you know doing movies with de niro and yeah, pretty amazing. It is amazing. And it's, I, you know, I don't know. Experience is really interesting. Don't you find as you get older that like all we have is our experience in the moment and you're trying to right. and then and you have your memories and then, you know, the memory hanging on to the memories. I feel like that, that's what I think about a lot now getting older. You do. Yeah. That suddenly yeah. some of the things I've done in my life have taken on importance. You right. know, suddenly I don't think I ever used to dwell on it. But now I go, you know, gee, you know, I guess I've done a lot of stuff. Right. And it's pretty cool. But in the end, what really matters? That's what I was struck with that uh, GQ article you were doing. You, in the end, you were like, you know what? I got to go take my son for uh, his knee. Uh, right. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? And what it does, does it mean? Right. Because it does get more to that, I think, as you get older and you realize that it's, it's I think when you're younger, you don't think about the the finiteness of life and you know, like it or not I, I you know i'm aware of it at this point and i think the experiences become more important do you think you'd ever retire like or, or do you think no you i don't do think i i mean i don't i wouldn't want to retire because i wouldn't want to i want to like try to i think staying engaged and, and working and being creative like really is part of you, know, you talk about like work-life separation and yeah. I, we're lucky enough to do what we love doing so that keeps us going, I think, in a way. At least that's how I feel. You know, do you have do you have any like game plan? Like, do you have hobbies? Do you have things that you say? You know, if I quit work now, I I could be happy doing this. Or is it is there nothing? Um, else? Well, I love I like playing the drums for fun. 
Right. Um, and just more is like almost like a therapy sort of thing. Um, I like, uh, I mean, honestly, I don't have a lot of hobbies. Uh, right. You know, I, I love going to Hawaii. We have a place in Hawaii and I'm going there for like 20, whatever, five years. And what, how long can you last there? Like, like I could last, be- I could last like three months there. Oh, really? Yeah. You've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice. I did. We, we made Tropic Thunder there. I like lived there for like five or six months, but doing nothing there. I found as I gotten older, I can actually do nothing for longer periods of time and get into that rhythm. Can you watch TV like to relax or is it always look like, oh, shit, either you're like, oh, why yeah. do you do that? No, 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 I, I can't. I definitely can. Um, I can. Uh, I mean, I do find myself if I'm watching sports, actually, I find it's like a sort of a way to kind of turn off a little bit, you know, right. and like get did outside. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I, uh, I did watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, yeah. um, I actually, yeah, I'm not a big football fan, but I watched the playoff games the, the weekends before, two weekends before, and they, they were amazing. So I, I love getting into something and just, you know, and if it's a good game, I'll just start rooting for the underdog, no matter what. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, you know, also just to, like have time. I used to not want to like to not want to stop at all, and to have time to just have some emptiness, so that then whatever can come in will come in, whether it's picking up a book. Or watching something, or you know, getting into something with people in my life. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you get you experience creative burnout if you don't do that stuff. Like I have to yeah. have time to just sit and do nothing. Yeah, and, and yeah. let my mind go. You know. And don't you find the longer you do that, the the more you can do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I like it. And you like? I, I got into painting, right. so I mean, I'm like way deep into that. And do you ever see yourself stopping doing this and just painting? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, I could see it. I'm not a guy who's bored. Yeah, I, could, I think I could keep my mind pretty active. Um, well, anyway, okay. Listen, I was thinking about David Bowie. You did it. You put him in Zoolander. Yeah, you worked with him. He said yes to that. I couldn't believe he said yes to that. How shocked were you on a scale of one to ten? Um, I was like like eight, seven, or eight, or you know, um, or nine maybe. I don't. He was. Did so you nice. call him? Did you call him personally? Uh, I might have called him. You know, uh-huh. I um, I probably called him, and I think he, you know, one of the reasons why also is that he he had some music, and he was, and he wanted to see if I would maybe put the music in the movie too, oh. and um, that's probably why we got the in to him. But I just remember that day of shooting that he was so incredibly gracious and cool, and you know, it was like t- answering questions about you know about himself and rock history and everything. It was amazing. It's yeah. And he really you should have played drums for him. You needed no. to play. Oh, drums God, no. That is my dream though, to play the drums with some, you know, like Elton John or something like that. Why don't, I mean, you could make that happen. Like I could see even Dave Grohl saying to you, come on and play yeah. a little bit. He's you such could, a great drummer. Dave Grohl. I, I, I would, I, there's a couple of songs, you know, like if it's like four, four time that I would feel, comfortable going in and, and doing it. and that is my dream but i also wouldn't want to make people have to watch it what is your like, best song like <laughs> is it an elton john song like is that why you said elton john because you can i just play... love elton john i know he's playing right now you know um i'm a really big fan of his and his yeah and i actually bought nigel olson's drum kit that he recorded goodbye yellow brick road on really yeah wow i was did that cost you a, a bundle it was like ten thousand dollars Wow, he was he restored it. I was at a Elton John concert and backstage and talking to him, and he said, "You know, I just restored this kit that I recorded Goodbye Elbow Road. Do you want to buy it?" 
No kidding. Elton yeah. said that. No, no, Nigel. No, no. Oh, Nigel said it. Yeah. Did Elton, did Elton, uh, I bet you he'll hear about this and he'll have you sit in. I'm no, no, no. I'm God. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'll really, go to that. I'm good I'll friends. I'll get COVID yeah. for that. <laughs> I'm good friends with his drum tech, Chris Subcheck, who's a really cool guy. Um, but I, sure. I don't, I don't want to make people have to watch my dream come true. I want to just, <laughs> I feel like it could just be like in a room by, you know, I don't, it's not about like playing in Madison Square Garden or something. Are you still getting together with those dudes from your, ba- your high school <laughs> yeah. band, Capital Punishment? Are you, I don't want to go there. Uh, yes, we are. <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great because we, it's been a way, you know, talk about being social. It's been a way that to reconnect with some really old friends and we have this history. So that's been the best part of it. So you guys have been getting together somewhere. We played a benefit, actually, uh, the Bowery Ballroom. Uh, we did a couple songs for uh, uh, a musician. There was a benefit for a musician and uh, with real bands, like guys from Blondie and stuff and, and real punk bands. And we got up and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. Because wow. it, the last time we did it, it was like our friends were inviting our old high school mates to come <laughs> see us. This was like real people in, a, you know, coming to see other people, real musicians, it, mostly musicians in the audience. And it was, it was, it was so scary. And you know what kind of sucks about drums? You always need other people. Like at least if you're a guitar player or right. piano player, you could sit there and do your own thing. You need a couple of dudes or you got to put a record on them, drum right. to it, right? Is yeah, but John you... Stewart turned me on to that drumio. You know, drumio. What is that? It's Drum an here. app that teaches you drums and then also has which and it also has songs that you can play along with and different teachers. It's really good. Um and has the sheet music that you can play along with too. Is he a drummer? Yeah. Well he's he's picked up drumming in the last I don't know, last few years, like last ten years or something. Yeah, it's like he retired. He's living on. Well, like he's a... got it right because he he actually he came to visit the set one day when we were shooting Severance because we were shooting the, the building that uh it takes place and we were shooting it uh Oh in, in a, Jersey. In Belarus. Yeah, Bell, uh, Bell Labs. Yeah, the old Bell, Bell Labs. Labs. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, John lives like 15 minutes from there, and he came over to the set one day, and um, he's got it great, I think, because he really has put his priorities. You know, he's got, you know, he hangs out with his family and does his show, but it's not overtaking his life. And um, I really yeah. think he's, I really like listening to him on your show too. Can you believe that Bell Labs actually exists? You know, when I saw when I was watching the Severance, I'm going. Gee, like Ben built this set that looks like um, there's no there's no office that looks this horribly boring. And meanwhile, it really exists. I mean, how does anyone work in that fucking environment? It looks it's so sterile, and the yeah. lighting it's uh, I well, mean it's perfect for the movie. I didn't know it was yeah, real. It's an inc- incredible building. It's um, was built in the fifties. Ira Saarinen, this mid century architect, built it, and it. Uh, was where the microchip, I guess, was developed, like the transistor. Oh, wow. I don't know exactly what, but it was Bell Labs developed the transistor or the microchip that was part of the original cell phone, and then it got sold, and now it's it's kind of like become like it's like a shopping mall there, but and, and it has this amazing water tower that's shaped like a transistor, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's a it's a great place. Well, let me tell you, congratulations on Severance. I recommend that everybody watch it. I'm in the middle of it. I love it. Uh, you can watch new episodes on Severance every Friday on Apple TV Plus. Yep. TV Plus. <laughs> That's the one you have Everything to pay is for. a plus yeah. now. Everything is a plus. <laughs> Everything is plus. Why? God only knows. <laughs> Maybe Ben has inside information. I don't know. Howard but, Stern uh, Plus. You should. Howard Stern Plus. Hear it here first. You heard it. Listen. Kept you long enough. All I right, think it's man. tomorrow already. I'm always I'm happy sure. to see you and talk to you. No, I'm happy to see you too. And uh, listen, maybe in ten years we can say hello to each other when it's safe. And um, well, yeah, uh, or you'll just. 
text or email. I want to hear about your whole Florida thing because I, 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 I'm starting to fantasize about going to Florida. Well, I'll, I'll have you seems here. Like a, yeah. I'll have you and your lovely wife here. Okay. Christine. I'm not trying to invite myself. I just wanted to talk to you about it and because yes. it sounds like it's a good, like a good thing for you. It, well, it, look, well look. take the invitation, Ben. Okay. <laughs> He's Lord. already turning me down. No, Jesus, what was I'll feel bad if he doesn't me, follow yeah. up on it. No, I'm going to okay. stare at you and you'll stare at me. <laughs> and we'll, we'll watch a Knicks game together and we'll congratulate the Dolans In on uh, another, another flawless <laughs> Knicks season. Yes, you'll be a mask, a bathing suit and a mask. You'll, you'll be gorgeous. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, um, did you, by the way, did you then bring home COVID to your wife and get her sick? No, I... I Miracle. I came back. Everybody was like, oh, wow, you weren't wearing a mask. I was like, yeah. Christine was like, maybe you should just stay away from me just to be careful. Because she was going out to L.A. Right. And I kind of I did that before I tested or anything. Thank God. Yeah, Thank intuitively. God. And it was a good thing I did. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Look at that. Even Ben Stiller. This is a good lesson for my audience. Even Ben Stiller succumbs to peer pressure and felt funny wearing yep. his mask. Yep. I am. I'd like to think I would have worn, worn a mask, but I might have felt weird being the only one with a mask i get it i get it yeah you would have yeah. taken that mask off too let's be oh uh, robin shame on you <laughs> but isn't that like a weird dilemma you wouldn't even think about that you'd be faced with in life like oh i should socially keep my mask on or off and i think about it all the time that we're living in a crazy time for, for 50 billion reasons and yeah. i tell you i'm losing my mind i know i'm ready to blow my mind up <laughs> I, I like when you speak out on it. It's good. It's good to you. I'm going to speak out to, on, on Monday. All right. Listen. All right. By the way, Bobby Odenkirk is coming in on Monday. If you oh, have to say. he's the best. Did you read his book yet? I haven't. He actually, I, he just emailed me. He's actually, he told me he was coming in this weekend and we're going to try to get together. And he was going to give me a book. Yeah. Boy, that guy, Incredible. that guy's a talent. What a talent. Besides being an amazing actor, he's literally one of the best sketch writers of all time. And he was like that back at SNL. And you discovered him, really? No, I, mean, I didn't. you put no. him in. Yeah, no. in a way you did. I mean, you gave him a, a job on the Ben Stiller show. That, that, you know what sketch I love that he, I think he wrote it. Maybe you wrote it, but the one where instead of Lassie, the TV show Lassie, it's Manson. Manson. That's all Bob. Yeah. Oh, Bob wrote that? Bob wrote that. And I directed and I, it, but he wrote it and is amazing it's concept. Fantastic. And Andy Dick. Was great in that too, playing <laughs> yeah. the father. Van Hammersley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just. Where's the father? <laughs> it was like a 50s tv yeah. show it was so perfectly done and manson was lassie yep and, and he's so manson absurd lassie. yeah yeah that's I bob mean, that's like like that's a perfect bob odenkirk sketch did you did you go see bob's uh, action movie i did amazing Could you believe it i amazing. loved it amazing but who would buy him as an action star and and it, it worked he he's such a unique uh person because he's like I remember running into him when he was training for it. He's like, yeah, I'm training to do, like, an action movie. I don't know. I, like, told my agent I kind of want to do an action movie, and, like, I'm doing it. And he has this kind of, like, he's laughing about it, but he's doing it for real, and he kind of has a sense of humor about himself. But yet he's taking the chance and going for it. And he was so, he looks so great in it. And Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, a lot of good people worked with you. I was very uh, lucky, very lucky to yeah. have that group. Around. No, you recognize yeah. good did. Amazing. Could you believe it? I Amazing. loved it. Amazing. But who would buy him as an action star? And and it, it worked. He, he's such a unique uh, person because he's like, 
I remember running into him when he was training for it. He's like, yeah, I'm training to do like an action movie. I don't know. I like told my agent I kind of want to do an action movie and like I'm doing it. And he has this kind of like he's laughing about it, but he's doing it for real. And he kind of has a sense of humor about himself. But yet he's taking the chance and going for it. And he was so he looks so great in it. And yeah, yeah. Awesome. Now listen, a lot of good people worked with you. I was very oh, lucky, yeah. very lucky to have that group. Around. No, you recognize good talent. You did. That's an ability. Um, I was trying to, like I said, I was trying to support myself as much, surround myself as much as possible. But we had a great All time. Right. That was a great time back then. Ben, I'll let you go. You probably have right. to pish. I mean, I'm um, sure. It has been a little while. <laughs> I know. Uh, watch new episodes of Severance every Friday on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm not bullshitting you. It's really good. And uh, Thanks, Ben is man. the director, and uh, there's some great people in it, too, and it's really fucking trippy. That's what I'll yeah. say. How's that? Yeah. yeah. You'll be All right, ben. perplexed All the right. whole time. Thanks, guys. Be... What's going on? All right. Take Good care. You. you got right. a lot of production. You got a lot of uh, promotion today, I bet. Um, today? I'm. Oh, no. All I'm doing is taking my son to physical therapy uh, for his knee. That's it. What did he do to his knee? He was playing hoop basketball. He's uh -huh. a, he plays real basketball. He's playing hoop basketball in his room, and he popped his knee out. Oh. And tore it. Yeah. Yeah. These kids. I know. They don't listen. They don't listen. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right. Thanks, Ben. All right, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Right. Bye. Bye, Robin. There he is. Ben Stella. There it is. There's a guy who's done some things in his life. And uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, next Monday, Robin, Bob Odenkirk will visit us next uh, awesome. Tuesday. Love Bob. Next Tuesday, I should tell you this, Robin. Uh, I don't know if you know about it, but we are doing something called Sex Toy Tycoon. That's what? right. Sex Toy Tycoon. Now, what could that be about? Is there a Sex Toy Tycoon? Three <laughs> sex toy innovators will pitch their ideas to a panel of experts. That's all oh, I'll say. Oh, we're doing a, a kind of a Shark right. Tank thing with, a, well, with yes. an inventor of sex yeah. toys. Look how you figure it out in one, two, three seconds. <laughs> Look at that. You know, there's no teasing you. There's no teasing you. <laughs> and, and don't worry, Ronnie's involved. And uh, next Wednesday, Courtney Cox will also uh, stop by and visit the, visit the clubhouse, as uh, Very nice. Andy Cohn says, the clubhouse. I, I watch him sometimes, and he has a he doesn't have a show. He's like a clubhouse. clubhouse where he is. It's a, it's a clubhouse. <laughs> he, he's got a clubhouse. Robin, don't make fun of his clubhouse. <laughs>